We hit the launch button and suddenly we had like 70K worth of revenue. Like what the actual f Oh my God. This is now how we make this 5 million a year. We teach a thing on YouTube and we make a course off the back of it. How did you have the courage to price it like that? Ooh, that's the tricky part. All you need is a title, a thumbnail and a list. The creative in me gets really upset with that. I feel a lot, a lot of this is in your head. Growth can be found in ways other than in revenue and profit. This is fascinating. I'm getting surprisingly emotional just like talking about that. I felt like a weight lifted off of me. You, you've become our therapist, um, just so you know. Now, if you don't know who Ali Abdal is, a few years ago, he quit his job as a doctor to become a full-time YouTuber. And now he's on track to make over $5 million this year alone. In this episode, you're gonna get a detailed look into every way that Ali makes money as a creator. You're also gonna get the storytelling formula that he uses for every single YouTube video and that we've already started using ourselves. And lastly, you're gonna hear him help Colin and I break through some of our insecurities about money. But first, I wanna show you an AI tool that's specifically designed to help you make better YouTube videos. It's made by the sponsor of today's episode, Spotter. These AI tools were developed right here, actually in our studio with the Spotter team and a group of top creators. All right, so this one is called Title Exploder. So if you have an idea for a YouTube video, you can type the title in here. Then you have options. You can either reverb the title, rephrase the title, shorten the title, or explode the title. When you click explode, it'll give you a ton of different options based on your channel and the best titles on YouTube. And once you find a title you like, you can actually keep going and keep iterating. This tool is part of Spotter Labs, which is a full suite of AI tools that help you make better YouTube videos. Now, this tool has become one of the best brainstorm partners in our creative process. And Spotter is gonna give 20 creators access to this tool. If you watch our show, then you're familiar with Spotter. They work with creators like Eric, Destroying, Kanigra Dion, Dude Perfect, and 400 other creators. They accelerate their careers through capital, knowledge, and tools. So if you wanna test out this AI tool, click the link in our description and fill out the application form. Make sure you read through it because there are some requirements before you apply. And now for our conversation with Ali Abdal. So you're nervous. Yeah, a little bit. You guys are peers in the space mm. and it's peers in the space who watch this podcast and this YouTube channel. Mm. And usually the podcast that I'm on, I'm not speaking to an audience of peers. I'm sort of speaking as a bit of an expert, giving people either advice on the very <clears throat> basics of starting a YouTube mm. channel, which I'm very comfortable with, yeah. or the basics of how to be more productive, which I'm comfortable with. But this feels more like a, 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 a conversation where I feel a sense of, I want to say... Uh, you know, I want to say smart things. Mm. Actually, because freaking Tim Ferriss was the, was the guest before me. <laughs> like, how do you follow that? Yeah, <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, just like the, I've been in that seat before. Mm -hmm. I would say that seat for me was when we were on How I Built This mm, with yeah. Guy Raz. Like, I've never been more messed up in the head <laughs> because I was just like, I listened to How I Built This yeah. and I can't believe like, the profound things I've heard from that show. Do yeah. I have anything like that to say? This is exactly yeah. what's going yeah. through my so mind. I, I, I'm glad, I'm glad yeah. you guys can relate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the reality of this show is that we find things like that mm. where it's like, yeah, we can all relate. Yeah. We've mm. all, we all feel that way. We all feel nervous. We all feel, yeah. you know, like none of us have it fully figured out. Yeah. Which is why it's great to have these conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Just a conversation. Just a conversation. A yeah. A chat. Just a chat. Well, it's great to have you here. You're incredibly transparent. All of these papers I have sitting on the table. <laughs> if you're watching, you can see them. If you're listening, I'll go like this. Nice. Um, you just got a email from your accountant with like essentially your books, yeah. right? An update, financial update. This morning. And you just sent it to us and you're like, print it out. We can talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. In 2017, you made $2.27. 
Yeah. And it cost you $5,156. <laughs> Why did it cost you so much that year? Oh, because I bought a camera. Oh, you bought a camera. Okay. And, you know, that stuff. So, so <laughs> simpler times. Yeah, simpler yeah, exactly. times, yeah. <laughs> Only $5,000 for yeah, camera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you lost 5100 Correct. Yeah, okay. Um, 2018, you made $24,000, spent 13000 You turned a profit of $11,000. 2019, $130,000, spent $25,000, made $100,000. 2020, a dramatic jump there um, from 130000 to $1.2 million, spending 256000 making a profit of $956,000. That's not bad. Yeah. That's significant. Yeah. That's, that's, good. A, that's a really <laughs> that's a comfortable year, yeah. life. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Uh, 2021, 4 million, another huge jump, $4 million, uh, 1.5 million in expense and a profit of 2.5. Uh, 2022, 4.6 million, 2.5 in costs. So actually less profit, yeah. 2 million. Yeah. That's wild. Do yeah, you have any sense of mental. where you are today? Do you have any sense of what this year will look like? Yeah, I think we are on track for 4.7 million pounds revenue, which would be about five point something million dollars. Wow. Assuming things go according to plan. Yeah. Uh, with some element of error bars. And I think we'll spend 1.7 million pounds. So that's like okay, so whatever. You brought your cost dramatically down. Yeah. From 2.5. So that was a, big, a yeah. big change from last year to this year. This is an insane level of transparency to be comfortable with. Yeah, I'm not sure how long I'll continue to be comfortable <laughs> with it, honestly. This is where, the, like, like the conversations, you know, with my girlfriend now and sometimes with family members as well around, you know, in, in the early days of, of a business like this, a YouTube channel, it's kind of cute if you share the numbers. Be like, oh, I made $100 here yeah. and there. Mm -hmm. At the point where the numbers are in the millions, now there's, like, A, it's maybe not that inspiring anymore because most people mm. are not at that level and so it just starts to feel absurd. B, it starts to feel too much like bragging. C, in a way, you're kind of painting a target on your back, mm -hmm. in a way, because like, you know, if people can sort of know how, what our top line business revenue is, then they can maybe sort of start making assumptions as to how much money I've got in my personal bank account. And whether, sure. or, not, and whether yeah. or not those numbers are accurate, it like starts to genuinely be like, oh, hang on, this is something to take a little bit more seriously. Mm. There's also an element of your audience are the customers. In a way, yeah. they actually are. Like as a creator business, when you're talking yeah. and you put out the numbers mm. and you make it public, it can feel like, look how much money I made from you. Yeah. You know, do you <laughs> ever get pushed back about that? That it's sort of a secular type of- Yeah, but I think partly it feels weird if we have if we have the vibe that selling is like evil or wrong. And that there's no value. And there's no value, yeah. yeah. If, you, if you believe that, if the context is like what you're selling is nonsense, then yes, it feels ridiculous. Yeah. But if the buyers are like, that is how valuable it is. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I then it does. It's like, it's, I think it still feels weird because, you know, it, it was only a few years ago that I first got over my fear of selling anything online. Mm. And when I was first making this course, the, this uh, YouTuber Academy, it was about two and a half years ago now. I was initially thinking, you know what? Let me just pre record everything, put it online for $200. I can guarantee it's going to be worth way more than $200. So it's like, I feel comfortable with that. Mm. And then I spoke to um, a couple of creator friends, Tiago Forte and David Perel, who ran their own courses. And they challenged me like, you know, what if you had to sell it for 2000? How would that change your approach to it? And I was like, whoa, no, I couldn't possibly sell anything for $2,000. That's like way too much. And they were like, why not? And then we had a bit of a therapy session. Mm -hmm. And after, after all that, um, kind of the conclusion was, hey, we're not forcing anyone to buy this. If people are willing to pay the money for it, then... We'll give them a great experience. We've hired a whole team just to help with the customer success side of things. We have a very liberal money back guarantee. It's like all these things. And yet there's still a part of me that feels guilty about selling stuff 
Um, mm. I don't know. I don't know if you guys get this at all. Yeah, I I think there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, there's probably some like you know self worth stuff to unpack, mm. which is deep therapy, which we're not that that part of the pod <laughs> yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, that price also targets an audience, and even in right. the name, part time YouTuber Academy, I think that price works because the name implies you have another job, mm. right? And yeah. even your background of being in medicine, being a doctor, you are that candidate, that person who has probably a well paying job, has enough money to afford a class like you are offering, mm-hmm. right? So like the branding of it targets someone yeah. who most likely will not be angry about the price. Yeah. And if it backs up the price, if the content in right. it backs it up. Yeah, we still avoid avoid mentioning it on our YouTube channel uh, very much. Mm. And I actually think so, um, you know- you, Meaning you don't mention part-time YouTuber Academy on your YouTube channel? We, uh, v- very occasionally, but only in a sort of like very casual way. Like you guys are w- w- would be familiar with the yes theory kind of mm-hmm. debacle that happened when they like they it was it was it was kind of funny but also kind of kind of sad and I, I was I was really confused by this because they launched their course on the same day that, that we launched ours mm. we were charging 2000 they were charging 400 dollars they got absolutely you yeah. know, lambasted in, in the audience. comments of their of yeah. their YouTube video and I think our audience broadly didn't even know we were launching the final cohort because we only ever told people through our email list and very occasionally sprinkled in oh by the way we've got a final cohort coming up like it was a it was very casual yeah. Whereas they were like a whole video about the thing. Well, there's an unbelievably uh, deep value to like audience segmentation, right? Mm. As like, where is this audience? Where is the audience that's interested in the $2,000 course? That actually, like if you reach, make a video that reaches a million people, Mm. you might miss that audience. But if you have a newsletter with, you know, a certain amount of people, you might have that audience. And on the yes theory front, like I agree, I was, I I was really surprised by the reaction to Mm. that because it's not like they were forcing people. It's not like like Mm -hmm. they were saying like, our channel is behind a paywall. Yeah. Now. Like you can't watch anything. Yeah, it, was yes re- it was really unfair. Like, but, <laughs> I, was, I was kind I of angry. Think, <laughs> like, wh- yeah. why are all these people being so mean? M- to them? My perception of that is like the type of audience they've built is really into like communal things mm. and community driven things. Yeah. And I think now, you know, they, they've done a lot of things that like they just released their film in, a, in another pay what's fair model. That's yes theory. Yeah. Right. And people will end up paying way more than they're asking. Right, like the minimum, I think is like five bucks or maybe less, and you can pay whatever you think is fair. That's yes theory. Mm. Like, and, and what's coming into clarity right now in the creator economy is that we all have completely different types of audiences and different um, contexts with those audiences. Yeah, you know, like yeah. they're totally different contexts. Um, when I look at this, the, uh, like I always look at, you know, finances and numbers, and like mm. they tell a story, right? So finances tell a story. That explosive growth, though, from 2020 to 2021 is pretty dramatic. What was the story for you of like, how does this happen? How does it go from $2 in revenue to over $5 million? Yeah, um, that's, I guess, the story of the, last, of the last six years. So my first YouTube video, I think I uploaded almost like to this day, six years ago. Hmm. It was like in June 2017. And I think it's just the story of continual exploration mixed with really treating it like a business from day one. Because for me, YouTube was never a like, oh, I'm just doing this for fun. Like I have other things that I would do for fun. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And someone asked me a question a few years into the journey. He was like, they asked, would you enjoy it if you clicked delete instead of publish? And I was like, oh shit. Would I enjoy making YouTube videos if I hit delete after making the video instead of publish? Like, obviously not. That would be awful. Of course I want to publish it. Mm. So there's something about publishing a video and putting it out there into the world mm. that also 
is an extra component of fun. It's not purely the making of the video. Mm. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I just I just feel like at every step along the journey, I have tr a tried to genuinely make it enjoyable for myself because I think when things feel good, when they're fun, they become more sustainable. And I don't like the idea of having to work as if I'm climbing up a hill. I'd rather feel as if I'm sliding downhill. Um, but at the same time, I've been reading so much about business and management and leadership and operations. And I had my own business like five years before the YouTube channel, which taught me a lot. And, you know, I made so many mistakes about, you know, in terms of running a business. So when I started the that, YouTube that channel- That business was selling courses about getting into med school. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So like yeah. physical courses in real life, we'd book out a hotel room. Oh, physical courses. Yeah, oh, this wow. was pre-online course kind of- You did it analog. Yeah, yeah. analog courses. <laughs> the old Genuinely, school way. Like, you and know, the YouTube videos were to promote those physical yeah, classes? Yeah, exactly. So in, in like 2012, <laughs> I started this business. You know, the story was, um, I, you know, I was doing private tutoring and stuff when I was in, in high school, in secondary school in the UK. And I was charging 15 pounds an hour. And for about two years, I worked my ass off to, you know, do these like many hours a week of like going to people's houses and helping people with their maths and science and stuff. And I saved up about a thousand pounds. And, you know, in the summer before going to med school for the first time, I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy my first Apple product. I'm going to buy a MacBook. And I found some guy on Craigslist and he was selling me a MacBook Air for a thousand dollars, a thousand pounds. And so I, I, I met up with this guy at, at Paddington Station and handed him, handed him over a thousand pounds in cash. He gave me this MacBook. And it only transpired like a few hours later, I realized that he, he'd sold me like a four year old model that was obsolete and defunct and stuff. So I was like, I had this thousand pound deficit. This was like the most money I'd ever, ever earned in my life. And it had been sort of scammed out of me by this random grifter guy. So I thought, okay, cool. I need a way to make money. And I still have the Evernote file from 2012 where I sort of had some business ideas written down. And I kind of realized that, okay, I'm good at, you know, I was pretty good at these medical entrance exams. I think I'm pretty good at teaching and I know how to make websites. So those three factors combined to create this business where I was like, I can teach courses for medical students or medical applicants and I can make a website that sort of advertises them around the mm. UK. And so for the next few years, while doing med school, I was just traveling up and down, booking a hotel conference room every now and then, uh, printing physical copies of a booklet and like handing them out to students and then teaching and stuff. And... That business kind of grew for the first couple of years and then it sort of plateaued at around 150K revenue per year-ish. And that was when it started to decline a little bit. And that's when I thought, you know what? I need a way of getting more people into my courses. So I thought, if I make YouTube videos teaching people how to get into med school, then maybe some people will think I'm, you know, a decent teacher and they'll buy my course. Uh, I now know this is called organic content marketing, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't know what that was back in the day. So I just thought, mm. oh, let's make YouTube videos. Let's teach the thing and then I can sell a course off the back of it. And actually, this is now how we make this five million a year. We teach a thing on YouTube and we make a course off the back of it. And that's what drives the vast majority mm. of the revenue of the business. Hmm. Well, where did you playing guitar and your friends singing come into the picture? Because if you go to <laughs> oldest videos yeah. on your channel, it's not you talking about teaching about it's not. Know, it's a medical acoustic exams. guitar. It's, it's acoustic, acoustic guitar, guitar covers. I mean, it's pretty early on that we saw that you're starting to teach, right? Like yeah. that, that origins of that are very early on. In and you're good on camera from the start. Right. Which you watched the first video where you're teaching mm. in a YouTube video. And it makes total sense to me now that you were teaching in person. Yeah. And that you were comfortable <laughs> doing that. Yeah. The, the, the guitar thing was uh, ever since 2008, when I was a kid, um, I would love YouTubers like Kurt Hugo Schneider, Sam Tsui, Tyler Ward, Alex G, Boyce Avenue, these sort of music YouTubers mm. who would do covers of popular songs. And I, was just, I just fell in love with that. And so my dream was always to be a music YouTuber. And I had a, I had a couple of friends who were, who were sick at singing. And I thought, oh, you know, I, I, I like maths. I've heard that like, you know, you can, musical instruments are basically like maths. 
So if I could teach myself musical instruments and my friends could sing, we could make all these songs. And, you know, made a handful of videos. No one cared. One of them was, I, I was singing for the first time in one of these videos. And that's the only bit, well, one of the few videos I've ever unlisted on my channel because it had more dislikes than likes. Oh, it wow. had like three dislikes and one like. <laughs> that was your song. Was, that was my song. I was, I, it was a cover of Thinking Out Loud by Ed Sheeran. Um, and it, it just wasn't going anywhere. And the thing that I tell my students of, our, of, the, of the YouTuber Academy now is like every single person I know who has succeeded on YouTube in recent memory tends to have lent into some sort of unfair advantage that they had. Like my unfair advantage was I was a Cambridge medical student and, and good at teaching. So I could teach people how to get yeah. into med school at Cambridge. Mm -hmm. I had zero unfair advantages when it came to music. Like I couldn't sing very well. I couldn't play guitar very well. I was trying to learn on the job. And so it's very hard to succeed on YouTube if you're just learning the thing on the job. Mm. I think someone like Mr. Beast is interesting because of like he had zero unfair advantages and it was pure tenacity and dedication for the first like yeah. X years of his journey where he made like 460 videos without even hitting 10K subs or something absurd like that where he's reading like, he's saying Logan Paul a, a million times yeah, or yeah. reading the dictionary. It's like, that's the amount of hard work he that's had to That's become put in. his competitive advantage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. His competitive yeah. advantage also is like his level of focus. Like he was very focused on YouTube, yeah. which is, yeah, a competitive advantage. So I want to ask if courses uh, were the basis of the business and still yeah. are today, that inflection point going back to 2019 yep. between 2020, yep. where it goes 1. from 130,000 yeah. to 1.2 million, what changed there from a content perspective, from a yeah. business perspective, we launched a course. You launched a course. That was the first time we'd actually sold something. So 2017 through 2019, I didn't actually sell anything on the channel. The first year, just videos, no sponsorships. 2018 was the year of sponsorships. That was where we made the 24K or whatever it was. 2019 is when I started making Skillshare classes. And that was phenomenal because it was like, you know, I, I, I made one class on Skillshare late 2019, how to edit in Final Cut. That was just as I was outsourcing my editing. So I'd been doing all the editing myself for about two years. And I thought, you know what, let me make an online course because like I'm going to be out of the editing game. And I spoke to Thomas Frank, who had a couple of Skillshare mm -hmm. classes and Francesco from Keep Productive, who had a couple of Skillshare classes. And they said, oh, you know, you make good money on Skillshare. And so I was like, okay, cool. Let's make a course on Skillshare. So this course took me a weekend to film because I was just like walking through me editing a video. And I paid a freelancer like two days worth of work to edit it. And this course has been making $3,000 a month on Skillshare every month since September, 2019. Oh my God. Without me doing anything at all. Really? And that's just blowing my mind because like $3,000, like that's, that's literally how much I was earning working full-time as a doctor in the UK's National Health Service. And I was making three to 5K a month from this bloody Skillshare class that I filmed way back in September. Whoa. That continues to this day. So that was sort of one inflection point where it was like, you can make money off Skillshare classes. Let's make more of those. But then in 2020, that was when, um, that was when I quit medicine for the first time. I, you know, in, initially it was just meant to be a break I wanted to go to Australia to do some emergency medicine, but then pandemic happened, so Australia closed their borders. So I'm sitting at home, just like, you know, making YouTube videos. And I, I, I see all these comments from people being like, I want to start a YouTube channel. In the pandemic, everyone was like, yeah, you know, I've been wanting to start a YouTube channel for ages. And then I just thought, why don't I make a course where I teach people how to do YouTube? And after this conversation with Tiago and David, where they were like, don't, don't charge 200, charge $1,000, $1,500. We launched the course. Uh... Never even mentioned it on YouTube, actually. Just posted on Twitter. And I expected like 12 people to sign up for like a beta, you know, we'll try it out, see what it's like. And like 356 people signed up. Oh my wow. God. And how much did it cost? It was $400 initially. And then after the first like 100 people or so, we would just, we just double the prices. I'm like, all right, cool. It's now $800. And so I think we had a couple of tiers, 800, 1500, 2500 or something to that How effect. did you have the courage to price it like that? Um, it <laughs> or the confidence? 
the confidence was basically came from just having a money back guarantee. It's like, if someone doesn't like the course, they can literally just email us and we'll literally give them their, give them their money back. Yeah, that's a high and level that's, of confidence. That's a real, yeah. it's a real hack. Yeah. <laughs> like, if they don't like it, they'll, we, you know, worst case. Yeah, if it's not worth it to you. Yeah, we're not going to lose it. any money from this because it's like we collect the cash up front. If they want the money back, great, have the money back. You know, we're chill. So that first cohort made like 350K. Wow. And that was the thing. So 500K of the revenue that year came from Skillshare and the other sort of 500K-ish came from the YouTuber Academy. And can I, yeah. I, I want to ask, how many people are you working with at that time? Like, what's the celebration moment of that like? Are there people that are working with you? I just um, want to like bring me into that moment yeah. where that happens. Yeah, so that was super interesting. Um, at the time, it was four of us. So there, there was me, there was my part-time assistant, Elizabeth, who's now become a big-name YouTuber. There was our editor, Christian, who's uh, in Romania. He wasn't really involved in this. Mm -hmm. And there was Angus, who uh, is now my general manager and COO, whatever you want to call it. And so it was basically me, Angus, and Elizabeth on a call, on a Zoom call. And we hit the launch button. And, you know, initially we, we launched it on a platform called Podia, which is sort of like mm -hmm. a cheaper version of Kajabi. And initially, you know, we were just like, oh, whatevs. And then Elizabeth, I think, said, oh my God, you should refresh the page. I, you know, I was like, okay, I'll refresh the page. And suddenly we had like $10,000, like 10,000 pounds sitting in the account. I was like, what the actual fuck? Like 10,000 pounds? What? This is like four months worth of salary for a doctor that we made in like two minutes, literally by just mentioning it on Twitter. And I think in my email newsletter, like, hey, we've, we've opened the course, who wants to sign up? And then we refreshed it and it went up to 12K and then 15K and then 20K and then 28K. And I'm like, fuck, put Instagram story. Like, this is cool, screenshotting the thing. And I still have the screenshots from back then. So you shared that on Instagram? Yeah. I was like, oh my God, guys, this is incredible. Like, what the hell? And like hmm. my 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 uh, doctor friends were replying, being like, what the actual fuck is? <laughs> this is like half a year of salary. And yeah. then like by the end of that day, I think we'd closed about 70K worth of revenue. And it's the most money I'd ever seen in my life in like a, yeah. a single moment. What was the dopamine of that? Like, was that a moment of just like, do you feel scared? Do you feel excited? Like what was the feeling of that? Yeah, it was um, a real sense of exhilaration. Yeah. It's like, you know, when that, that feeling when your expectations are so low and the reality is so high, they're just like, whoa, yeah, like, yeah, my yeah. God. Since then, um, every time we've run the cohort, it's been less about like, oh my God, yeah. And it's been more about like, fingers crossed, yeah. please God, let's hope we, <laughs> let's hope we get the, the sales that we've had previously. But that was a moment of pure exhilaration and joy. But mm. most recently, like, so in, I did a quick glance at all of these upstairs before I came down here mm. when we printed them out, all these, um, the, your, the your finances. Yeah. And in, in every graph, there's this like big spike, right? In the February to March of 2023, yeah. which was your most, the most amount of money you'd made in a month, right? Which yeah. is over a million dollars. That's your most recent launch of the course. Yeah, our final right? launch of the course. Your final launch yeah. of the course. Yeah, which, eight. which brought a lot of urgency it to did. purchase. Yeah, so that was convenient. And so that one, like what, what are the pricing tiers like of the current version of PTYA? Yeah. And talk me through like the February sure. explosion that happened. Like we all followed it on Twitter because mm. you tweeted about it. And yeah. it was just like, in our Slack, it was like, uh, holy shit, <laughs> yeah. what the hell is going on? Yeah. You know, and um, yeah, just talk me through that. Yeah, so that was interesting. Um, I think in the February cohort, we had two price points. We had 2K and 5K. So $2,000 was for the final cohort. Yeah. And you get the course. It's like four weeks live course with an extra two weeks of feedback and support and the whole shebang. And the $5,000 option was for the executive tier. 
which previously gave you free access to all future cohorts. But because this was the last cohort, this executive tier gave you access to a new product, which we launched called the Part-Time YouTuber Accelerator. It took a while to, to you know, find various mm-hmm. thesaurus definitions of things. Um, and that's basically where we, sort of my team, are giving support to our students for 12 months. So we are in the midst of this right now, where we Got have it. about 180-ish students in this 5K wow. package. And it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people, yeah. Um, it's a bit of a path to service, um, you know, the customer, uh, the customer success yeah. component of yeah. this. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, it's not me doing most of the work. It's the team doing the heavy lifting. So we've got Alison, who's amazing, who's in charge of customer success. We've got a bunch of student supporters who've previously taken our cohort, who are helping out with giving feedback to students on their videos every other week. And every member of my team runs a weekly office hour because now we've got specialists in podcast and SEO and social media and website and YouTube and video editing and all that stuff. So the fact that all like like 10 of the 14 members of my team have a weekly office hour means that every day there's like two different support office hours that mm-hmm. anyone in anyone in the cohort can just rock up to and ask whatever the question well, whatever question they want. And so we've had some people being like 5k for a year where every single week, every single day I can show up and ask your team who's literally helping you build a multi-million dollar empire exactly how how they do stuff. Shit, that's a bargain. <laughs> yeah, that, that is so, really interesting. Those are the people we going I would think to. that like, even when we were first starting to make some money on YouTube, $5,000 for a year to learn more about what we're doing. Like when you start to learn that that can be made in a single brand partnership, yeah, then it starts to come into context of like, that is incredibly worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's one brand deal or one really good month of AdSense if you're yeah. just starting out, right? So it's like, or one freelance project that you do. Like there's so many ways to generate that and access to knowledge if you know how to use it yeah. is is really valuable. Exactly. Way yeah. more time intensive for your team yes. when you think about it. Because, you know, for us, when we think about a brand deal, you do it once. You've got one client. Yeah. If it's difficult for the month that you're putting the video together or whatever, yeah. once it's out, it's out. That's it. You know, if the audience doesn't like the video, yeah. it was free, essentially. But for you, everyone that purchases is a client. Yeah, honestly, the, this is the, the conversation we're having in our team right now. Of like, do we really want to continue doing this? Yeah. Because every time someone signs up, we are literally signing ourselves, ourselves up for another 12 months of like support. Yeah, so, two hundreds of people. Two hundreds of people. Yeah. Yeah. Unknown levels of yeah. support sometimes. There uh, may yeah, be a exactly. request that comes in that you've never seen before. Yeah, and we try our very best to go so, above and beyond and all that yeah. stuff. But it's a real kind of, it's, it's not as passive income as I would like to, mm-hmm. I would like to make on the yeah. internet. And definitely not very passive in terms of the team requirement. I mean, for, team someone, for someone who I would assume likes consistency, mm. I think that's a difficult business model to have so many different clients who might want so many different things. When I say clients, I just mean like customers. Yeah. Um, I, I've been doing a lot of journaling about this in the, over the last few days because you know it was like a 12-hour flight to get here and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of time to think. And you know, there's part of me that's thinking, let's just scrap this whole project because... Like it's it's you know not worth it because like of all the all the moving parts. There's another part of me that's thinking, and, and this is the part that's that's winning. That actually this is quite fun. Like <laughs> it's like we know how to make a pre-recorded online course. We're very good at that. But we're learning how to do customer success. We're learning how to do sales. We're learning how to kind of scalably provide what feels like a very concierge level of support. And if we can just dial in the systems and make sure the team knows what they're doing and is happy. That's actually pretty great because the margins on this sort of business are awesome. Like if we can close a 5K client hmm. for, for this for a whole 12 months, and even if we can get them to renew, now our LTV for a customer is like somewhere between 5K and 10K, assuming they renew for one point whatever years. 
that's actually a pretty good business. Yeah. yeah. And fundamentally, the place I'm trying to get to with our stuff is where our business is not reliant on regular views on YouTube videos. And that, and, and that's, I guess, where we come back to the whole creator thing, right? Because the, the people I know who rely on brand deals are quite stressed out with the view count on every individual upload because you're only as <laughs> kind of good as your last 10 uploads no, on no, average. No, no. Look at us. Yeah. 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 Other creators, sure. Other yeah. creators, I don't yeah. have any us, gray in my so beard. Other than you yeah. guys, <laughs> most creators are pretty stressed out by, yeah. by the thought of brand deals and the kind of the view counts on their videos. Yeah. Whereas I feel that stress and I want to not feel that stress. Mm -hmm. Dude, what a, I've literally been thinking about this of my goal for next year is to have that relationship with our videos. Mm. Like, and, you know, also largely from a conversation with you where you kind of like gave us a kick in the ass on Zoom one time. You're like, just make a course. Do I? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember this? Yeah, I yeah. do remember this. I recommend yeah. courses to everyone I know. Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. a you were fantastic just like, business model. Which, you know. I think um, you just couldn't believe that we didn't have a course. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. guys, you have the perfect yeah, audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you have a way more perfect audience than I do to make a course on YouTubers. <laughs> <laughs> like, for me, it's like 1% of my audience yeah. that cares about growing a YouTube channel. And, and we are working on one. Yeah. Um, and the thing that we're toying with is this concept of like cohort based feels really nice because, and if you don't know what cohort based means, it means like there's a set amount of time, six weeks and you'll, you know, commit to the program for six weeks. Yeah. You'll get, you know, maybe we'll drip out the content, meaning like you'll get one video yeah. on week one and two on week two. And for me, like that's how I could commit to learning because if you give it to me all at once, I'll probably watch 30% and then move on or something. Mm -hmm, sure. And so like, I want to ensure completion rate, but I also think about, we are very good. Like the business of brand deals is you have four to five, you know, maybe big advertising partners. Uh, that's how we work, right? We have, we, we want to keep a small set of advertising partners and service them really well. Yeah. Four to five customers is dramatically different from thousands of customers, yeah. which is the goal for the models to work for us, for courses to make sense. We need to get to hundreds and thousands of people taking, yeah, easy, you know, the course. But th then we need to also s make sure to service those people. And we see it slightly in e-commerce where like having a merch shop, you know, you have customer service concerns mm, where yeah. people are like, hey, this didn't show up right. And I guess now that I'm talking it out and mm. speaking it out loud, we have a team that handles customer service. I was going to yeah, say, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, have you seen the space yeah, you've got yeah, here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess- <laughs> Seen the people upstairs? <laughs> I guess I just, yeah. Sometimes you just have to hear yourself say it out loud to, yeah. to figure it out. Um, it is frightening though. Yeah, it, but it's scary. It's scary to open yourself up to that level of, like we have a very pure relationship with our fans and our audience. Purer than untainted by money. Yes. Okay. Yes. Meaning like, you know, you get to watch this show yeah. uh, at no cost to you outside of the time to watch the ads and the investment in, you know, mm. watching our advertisements, our sponsorships and advertisements. Yeah. That's the cost to the audience, which I think has become a very understood cost. Um, right? As a consumer, even yeah. for me, I'm okay with that cost. So I assume our audience is okay with that cost. Mm. Once you introduce thousands of dollars, um, you know, or hundreds of dollars, I think it becomes, you, you start to evaluate yourself so much, right? On your value, the value of your information, the value of, of everything you have to provide. Yeah. And it's where we're kind of getting into this point of like pricing. Yeah. I look at the material we've put together and I'm like, this is everything from the last decade of us learning. Great. So mm -hmm. it feels really high priced. Fantastic. Then I'll write a price next to it. Okay. Three grand. And then I'll okay. be like, that's ridiculous. That's so high. Mm. And I don't know how to get to a point where it's like, I feel like it's the most valuable curriculum. Like yeah. I look at the curriculum, I'm like, so valuable. But how can I ask someone to pay 
in the thousands of dollars for it. Oh, that's the tricky part. Yeah. Do you think a bit of this is us imagining our audience as us 10 years ago? Yes. Because that's not necessarily the case. That's true. That's that true. That's true. everyone watching is someone who's just starting out on YouTube, has no idea what they're doing, doesn't have disposable income. The, the course is also not built for that. It's not built the, for that The, the person, course is built yeah. for people who are in the career okay. of being creators. So who's it aimed for? Who, who's it, it, it? It's aimed for like professional creators. Okay. So people um, who are making way more than 3K. Yeah. And people who, okay, now, yeah, again, I just had to talk it out loud. <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> again, people who 3K to them would be easily made in a single video, if yeah. not, you know, half a video. Great. So, okay. so what's the problem? All right. No, oh, this is why you're here, <laughs> Honestly, dude. This feels like, like a- uh, mate, like I would, I would sign up to that course in an absolute heartbeat. Yeah, this feels like a therapy if, session. If the course was 300 quid, I would think, what the hell are you guys doing? Like, yeah, this, is, totally, this is a scam. Totally, totally. The mm -hmm. fact that it's 3K means like, okay, this is serious. I'm going to get my general manager to take the course because he's negotiating our sponsorship deals. Even a 1% movement in our sponsorship deal <laughs> as yeah. a result of the information yeah. you guys yeah, gave yeah. us. Is and just I think we can on. actually, <laughs> yeah. I think we can make a, uh, a significant shift in a lot of people's sponsorship business. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I think that's what we are very good at. Nice. Um, yeah, that's like your own for advantage. Yeah. 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 So you do deals with all these big companies. Yeah, You've yeah, worked yeah. for companies like Nike and stuff before yeah, yeah, and like yeah. NBA and all that. Are you pitching the course right now? Yeah. Great. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, um, wow, that's good to talk out. I'm yeah, glad we'll here. plug it to our YouTuber yeah. Academy audience as well. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, wow, that was really nice. And also, that felt like that felt like a weight lift. And if, if, if people don't like it, you've got a money back guarantee. Mm, yeah. Great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think that's it's really just the important. ultimate. Like, we we get so few people asking us for their money back. Yeah. Um, we'll you know the the commonest reason people give for wanting their money back is. Hey, look, I'm sorry. Like my grandma died, or like you sure. know, I got yeah. laid off, and it's yeah, just like, yeah. of course, of course, we want to give you the money back. We, we, we like you know, yeah, we're not. We've got to... plenty of money in the bank. Yeah, we don't yeah, need. Yeah, yeah, we don't yeah. need an extra couple of k from you if you're broken. Like, it's just. Mm. I think the money back guarantee to me just takes all of the weight off mm. the fear it's and the really taint. Nice. I like that selling, a lot. Yeah. Selling yeah. So uh, the concept of you moving away from PTYA is mm. like pretty substantial because it's the primary revenue driver, right? Yes. Like uh, how much of the five point, let's say, let's call it 5.2 million that yeah. you'll make this year. I mean, I guess we can look at the actuals right now of, yeah. you know, last year um, or even this year, $2.4 million in year to date revenue, yeah, two pounds. Yeah. pounds. Yeah. So what is that in dollars? Uh, times one point three or something. That's that's good, man. Halfway through the year. Yeah, this is up to up to May, so not quite up to May, so yeah. not even halfway. That's, that's great. Yeah, it's all right. But we've just finished our final cohort, and right, that was right, like right, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's the, a big question mark right now around can we, yeah, can we make another two million in the rest of the year? So th let's talk through the other advertising income, oh. right, or other income sources. Yeah. Um, you know, essentially, you have here, uh, PTYA sales, uh, Google AdSense income, which in May you did 51,000 pounds. Yeah. It's about 50 K a month. 50 K a month. Yeah. Okay. And that's pretty stable. Yeah. Ish. Um, sponsorship income 45, that feels low, but I think also uh, understandably so that you're not doing that many. Yeah. So, uh, we haven't done many sponsorship deals in the last couple of months. Yeah. In fact, I haven't uploaded a video for about three weeks now, which is the longest I've ever gone oh, without uploading a video because I've been working on my book and one of the weird, you know, I wonder if this was, the, yeah. Uh, one of the questions I always ask myself, I, fairly, I ask myself fairly regularly is, if I had a hundred million in the bank, what would I do with my time? And I always think I would continue to make YouTube videos. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I think there's no way in hell I'd run a live cohort because it's a total nightmare. <laughs> would not recommend. I think for you guys, a drip co course, pre-recorded drip course is very different to a live cohort. Mm. Totally cool with a drip course. Mm. Do not do a live cohort, please. Pre-recorded drip with available staff 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah okay. that's, that's fantastic. And is there a tier where there's access to us or no? Maybe, but your time is worth like way more than you would yeah. feasibly. Like you'd probably right. charge like 50K for that and then right. that would look really bad. And that would, um, yeah, that would so, look crazy. So if I had 100 million in the bank, I would never run a life cohort ever again because it's stressful and annoying. Um, and secondly, I wouldn't do brand deals because brand deals have deadlines on them. Mm-hmm. And as soon as there's a deadline, suddenly there is a deadline on me making a video. And then we will get to the end of the month. And it's like, Angus will say to me, Ali, so, um, you know, we've got three days until the end of the month uh, and we've got a video from Brilliant and Skillshare and, uh, you know, this and Slack that needs to come out by the end of the month. So, um, yeah, you know, we really should be filming some stuff in the next few days. And I'm like, okay, I get it. But like, ugh, the videos aren't ready yet. Like, I want the video to be good. I don't want to just put a video mm-hmm. out for the sake of the brand deal. And Angus is like, yeah, but, you know, we said this last month as well. And we, we get into this issue with sponsorship deadlines. And so I realized in this world in which I've won the lottery, I would never have a spot. If, if I ever have a brand deal, I probably wouldn't. But if I did, it would never have a deadline on it. And so that is now the future that we're working towards mm. where I've said to my team, guys, honestly, I, do n- I never want to see a deadline ever again. <laughs> mm. And if that means that we lose out on a million a year of sponsorship revenue, that is a, a price I'm happy to pay for not having a deadline. Um, because like the point of this creator thing is, at least the way I think about it, is like, I, I got into this game because I wanted to I wanted to build a career and a life on my own terms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have the freedom to do what I want and the sort of the autonomy to not do things I don't I don't want to have to do. And having deadlines on videos. I, feel, I I'm I'm surprised I feel so, so so strongly about this, but having having deadlines on videos is like having another job. And that was what I left medicine to avoid the feeling of. Mm. So we sort of have cut down on our sponsorship deals for the last couple of months, kind of focusing on the book. We're probably going to ramp them back up, but Angus and the rest of my team are negotiating with sponsors to basically have the deadline so far in the future that I can act as if we never have a sponsorship deadline. So those are like the two areas of the business where mm. right? this year I that, recognize. That's, that's really kind of annoying. Yeah, it's really great. For you too, it's really important that you don't have deadlines because your videos are about productivity and mm. self-development. And as a viewer, my hope is that you actually use these oh God, tactics yeah, and these strategies and they are a part of your life and then you're not forced to come up with a list of things that could be helpful for you. And anyway, we've, we've had times where it's been like, oh shit, we've got sponsorship deadlines. Okay, cool. Let's figure out how we can repackage a previous video and give it a new acronym. And it's mm. like thinking of the acronym, thinking of the system. And that is where, you know, this was, this last happened a couple of years ago. Thank God for that. But <laughs> that's when it starts to feel really dirty. And really yeah, like, that, yeah, that's, that's pumping not, that's out fun. media, right? Yeah. That's like, I think especially with self-development content yeah. and yeah. productivity, because yeah. the last thing you want is someone looking at a short you make or a video you make and thinking, all right, he, like he's just trying to keep up with the pace of the algorithm. He's just trying to put out another video. Mm. Does he actually live this life? Right. You don't want to lose that mm. credibility. Yeah. I just want to offer that. Please. That's also Colin's voice, bit of a skeptic here on productivity content. Mm. Which is yeah. fair. We were, we were having this totally. conversation before you came in. But I think it's a fair thing to, to point out that like, you know, um, even when we interviewed Tim, Tim Ferriss on the show. Like, I said a similar thing to yeah, Tim. <laughs> I, I have grown up as a huge fan of content that's like productivity, self-development, how do you optimize your day? Like that is, yeah. I've, I've adopted a lot of that and I find it really valuable. And Colin on the other side, I think is- I find yeah. it valuable as well. But the skepticism for me comes when I think about the person behind the content. Mm. And there's no way, and I'm sure you've talked about this before, about, you know, you can't be 100% productive all the time, yeah. right? And yeah. that's that's fine. But I think 
with productivity content, the image is up here mm. many times. And I find that my assumption about the reality is probably somewhere down here. Yeah, yeah, this are, is what- Are you ever conflicted about that? Or how do you experience yeah. sort of your relationship with being a productivity self-development creator and the actual amount of, you know, development you're doing or yeah. uh, strategies that you're implementing in your own life? Yeah, so this is this is something I think a lot about. Um, you know, one thing that Tim Ferriss said, uh, you know, a couple of times in, in his inter various interviews is that he always gets requests from journalists being like, hey, can we follow you around for the day? Because you must be so productive. Mm. And he's like, well, no, because I'm not that productive. I just like, you know, <laughs> I walk around in my underpants. I prepare for a podcast. I like, you know, whatever that thing might be. And, you know, it's, it's, it's almost a trope at this point where people will come up to me and be like, oh my God, you must be so productive. It's like, well, I kind of am, but it also like depends how you define productivity. I think productivity is using your time well and using your time intentionally. So like last week, I played Diablo 4 and I had my little walking treadmill desk thing. And it's like, while well, playing Diablo 4, which is a total quick waste of time, racking in 10,000 steps, which feels productive. It's just like, you know, just yeah. multitasking and stuff. Um, but no, the way, so the way I think of it is like, productivity to me is less a topic and more a lens or a philosophy. And so a video on how to be more productive. Yeah, that video would do well. Um, a video on how to manage your time would do well. But we've started branching out into health and relationships. And, you know, our whole thing is, you know, helping people build a life they love. You know, business, creator, all this kind of stuff. And the lens of productivity is like, how do you use your time efficiently? Use your time enjoy enjoyably and sustainably without burning out while feeling good about yourself. That to me is what productivity is. Mm -hmm. And that is infinite content that I can make for the rest of my life. Because everything I'm interested in is with the lens of how do I make it enjoyable and how do I make it sustainable? Um, but certainly back in the day when we had lots of sponsorship deadlines, that was a case of like, oh, okay, let's repackage something that we've said before. Yeah. But then the other side of the equation is, I think our average viewer watches 2.2 videos. And so the fact, like I know all 684 videos that I've published, and I know that I've mentioned this thing about time blocking in a video in June, 2019, no one else does. And every day we're getting like 3000 subscribers joining the channel who've never heard of me before. And so actually the thing that people need to hear is be more productive, set some goals, put it in your calendar, sit down and do the thing, don't get distracted. And it's all the same kind of stuff. Everyone is, you know, every product productivity book is the same content repackaged in various ways, but it needs to be repackaged for a new audience to hear it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so part of me is like, oh, I've said this before, but then I have to remind myself, but most people have not seen all of my videos. So, And it's okay that that's part of your value. Even if one of your audience members hears yeah. the same thing again, that's helpful. Yeah. Uh, a lot of my favorite books from authors like Seth Godin or yeah. Ryan Holiday. Same stuff. <laughs> it's yeah. very similar stuff. But yeah. the value is I'll read those books multiple times yeah. because I will forget about some of the tactics so, and mm. I want to read them again to remind me. Yeah. Um, the next line, because I'm back to this, you know, the income, um, all of these will spin us into incredible stories, which I love. Um, the next line, which is really impressive to me, is 22,000 pounds on affiliate income. Affiliate yeah. income is not easy to come by in my opinion. Yeah. Like, like commission rates are very low, right? So an affiliate link is when you, you know, put a link in your YouTube video or in your newsletter and, you know, it's something you love, mm. but I guess you make a lot of videos about things you love. So is that where the money comes from? Or like, how does, where, where, does, like, where does our affiliate income come from? It's because uh, that's like, it, I mean, I've seen affiliate income, like high affiliate income, but I'm always curious, like, how do people do that? That's like, that's so impressive to me. It's like yeah. truly kind of passive income. Yeah. So uh, people like Peter McKinnon have very high affiliate income yeah, because yeah. high-priced camera gear yes. via Amazon 
People like Graham Stephan have high affiliate income because of yeah. like Webull and all of the other US-based yeah, stock yeah. market D type things. We have way lower affiliate income than those guys do, but higher than most people. Because um, a lot of our affiliate deals are on software and a lot mm. of software has 30% recurring commissions. Got oh, it. Wow. Which is Didn't really nice. know that. So what you, type you, of software are you pushing? Oh, like ConvertKit, for example, has a 30% recurring really? affiliate mm. program. Wow, Udia, nice. Kajabi, um, Ghost, which was yeah. what we used to use for website hosting. Interesting. Um, and so at the bottom of, I think a, a large chunk of this income comes from Ghost. Right? At the bottom of the website, we just had Powered by Ghost. That was, the, that was the affiliate link. As soon as anyone signs up, Ghost has paid plans from $9 through to like $300. Whoa, interesting. We get 30% recurring every single month. Whoa. And so it's just like, Free, free money. Epidemic Sound is a good affiliate deal. I think that's like $30 per free trial sign up or something absurd like that. Mm. We make a couple hundred to a couple thousand from them every month. But then you think about the scale of 22,000 pounds, right? Yeah. Like $30 or 30% of something like it's, it is substantial. That that means that's a critical mass. So like that that to me means like a good audience fit. Yeah, I think right? I, I, I do feel like it's usually 10K, but sometimes they pay out in like weird like see, quarters see, okay. or something like got that. Got it, got it, got it. So it's, um, it's not always 22K a month. The next line is teaching income from Skillshare, yeah. which is 22,000 pounds as well. Yeah, that's absolutely uh, nothing. If Skillshare income used to be about 70,000 a month for us. We've got like 13 classes on Skillshare. That's amazing. And then in October last year, they, they changed their monetization algorithm mm. and everyone's rates got slashed. And this is something that I knew was going to happen because as soon as we started making absurd amount of money through Skillshare, yeah, like, you know, that first class yeah, was like yeah, three yeah. to 5K. My, this, the second class I made was how to study for exams. That's been doing 10K a month on Skillshare every month since like May of 2020. Whoa. Completely mental. And every single time we've, we've released a new class, it's just been like the numbers have been going up and up and up. And when the numbers got to the point where we were nearly making a million a year from Skillshare, I was thinking, okay, there's no way in hell this is actually going to, this is sustainable. This is a gravy train that's not going to continue pouring. I don't even know if that's the right metaphor. And so I said I to my it. team, like, like, and a big goal for myself was we need to own our revenue. Yeah. And we need at least 50% of our revenue to come from our own products. And so that was when we launched the YouTuber Academy because it's like, what product can we make that like, <laughs> is, is something that we own? And then that was the thing that bumped us to the 1.2 million. So then you have other teaching income on here as well, Creatorpreneur, yeah. which I purchased. Hmm. Um, that's like an $800 course, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, that's self-paced. Yep. Yeah. And then teaching income from Camera Confidence. Yeah, that's a $150 course. That's a $150 course. It's amazing that they're both 3,000 pounds. Yeah, it's, that's right? absolutely nothing. Like I, I, I think the way we went about making those two courses was like a bad idea. Mm. Um, I've recently been consuming a lot of Brendan Bouchard's content. You know, oh, he's, mm. he's like a real OG in the personal development space. Mm. And he's got a fantastic course called Experts Academy where he basically teaches the online thought leader kind of business yeah. model. And, you know, I've, I've been, I'm, I'm going through that course as we speak and I'm just like, oh, I wish I'd discovered this stuff five years ago because this guy has been, is doing the thing that I'm trying to do and has literally made a course on how to do the thing. And I've been trying to make up the playbook as I go along because I just didn't know he existed until six months ago. These OG info product gurus built, uh, except Brendan, where he had organic, mostly built their fortunes off of paid ads. And so all of their stuff is how do you convert cold traffic from a Facebook ad into a funnel, into a lead magnet, into a product or whatever. But as creators, we now have stupidly large organic reach. And so if we can combine the principles of marketing from the info product gurus, combine them with our organic reach, hopefully we can, we can get to someplace interesting. Um, and so if I had my time again, I would not release Camera Confidence or Creatorpreneur's courses. I would weave them into our YouTuber kind of product offering. Yeah. 
Interesting. Because it's a, a lot less confusing that way. So so with, you know, this year to date, you, you mentioned like it's what, $1.2 million have come from PTYA or maybe more? I think it's just about $2 million. $2 million. Okay. So $2 million year to date on PTYA, that makes up right now 62% of your revenue year yes. to date? Yes. How do you make that up if you drop, like, how do you sit here and go, yeah, let's drop that? Wouldn't you have to let go of a lot of teams? Yeah, totally change your... Um, we're hoping to make more money beyond that. So instead of just getting rid of PTYA, yeah. we're converting it into a self-paced course. Got it. Okay. Which and, will be like lower yeah. priced and hopefully a higher volume. I see. Yeah. And and honestly, when I look at this, like one of the stories that I see here when mm-hmm. I think about and, and listening to you is like, what was happening on Skillshare prior uh, with like making 70,000 a month on Skillshare? That to me is like a high margin product because- you put it out and you don't have to tend to it. Exactly, yeah. It's passive. It's actually passive. Genuinely passive. It's genuinely passive. That's a dream. That's the goal. (laughs) That's the absolute goal. So like the the thing that I think sometimes young creators or young entrepreneurs miss is like big, shiny, exciting revenue opportunities, but they don't think about um, cost, not actually hard cost, like money out of the account to make Mm. it, but like life cost of operating that business is high. Yeah, it really is. It's this is why I would not high. recommend live cohorts for anyone. Right, because yeah. a live cohort is like, that's a high lifestyle cost. It is, yeah. Um, and the goal is to build low lifestyle cost products that are high revenue. So yeah. if the goal is a lifestyle business. If the goal is a lifestyle business, yeah. Yeah. Totally. But I, I think that's really interesting that like, if you can make that up in self-paced, that would be incredible. It, that would and be cool, yeah. There's yeah. probably a possibility it could go bigger. Uh, yeah, maybe. It, I try not to worry. I I try I try to actively not think about numbers outside of my control. Interesting. Um, I let Angus okay. deal with the whole financial projections mm. side so, of things. But yeah, I guess like how much are those like revenue goals? How much do they matter to you? Of like, we did five million this year. We need to do seven next year, or is it just kind of like? Yeah. So this is a question I I I always come back to of like, what is the actual goal? Yeah. Because right now, I am. It's going gonna, it's gonna to sound a bit weird, but I just say, just kind of like living the dream where I can rock up, I can make whatever videos I want. We get like decent income from brand deals, hopefully without deadlines. We get to make a decent living from courses. The team is happy, I'm happy. Like that's a pretty good gig. And we'll probably do like two point something million in profit this year. That's like fucking mental. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's crazy. And then I think like, do I need more money? Not really. So what's what's the goal? Um, and one thing that... Um, one thing that a friend told me at one point was that growth can be found in ways other than in revenue and profit. And so to me right now, growth looks like, how can I, how can I, for example, take three months off filming and it not affect anything in the business? Mm. In October, when my lease in London runs out, how can I travel the world and just film, have my studio in a suitcase and film videos when I feel like it mm. and it not affect our revenue? It's like the growth, if honestly, if we could just continue doing this and make 2 million a year in profit, that's, I'm very, very happy with that. That's a good place to be. Um, that's an absurdly good place to be. So I'm not really trying to shoot for higher revenue numbers. Yeah. But then there is always a part of me that's like, oh, but like if we released a productivity course and now we could do the big numbers and stuff. Yeah, I wonder, you know, yeah. as you have more passive income, what do you fill your time with? Do you truly fill it with traveling the world or mm. do you fill it with more work and mm. more revenue opportunities? Because I have that fear. Yeah. Sometimes when we say no to an opportunity to give ourselves more time, mm. in the back of my head, I'm thinking, did we do that to give ourselves more time and then we're just going to come up with something else to fill the time? Yeah. You know, I don't know if you share that fear. Yeah. I share that majorly that like, we've talked, we've talked about that. Could we actually take a break for three months or Mm. six months, a true break? 
I think I romanticize about it a lot, but I have a terrible fear of it. Like I, we've been in such a forward progress, you know, motion for yeah. the past 12 years together. Um, and, you, you know, I don't know if you had this experience of like kind of your first mega profitable year where you receive a big check and you're like, I've been working so that I could receive this big check. Mm. And then you get it and you're like, so what do I do with it now? Mm. Did you have that experience or no? No, no, not okay. really. Because, <laughs> because I think for me, I haven't been working for the big check. Yeah. I've, I've been working for the goal of financial freedom, which I mm. already have, depending on how you define it. And beyond that, I'm working because it's fun and meaningful and fulfilling yes. and it's what I would do if I won the lottery anyway because yes, I enjoy yes, teaching yes. and all that shit. I do the brand deals for the big check for the big check and I do live cohorts for the big check, which is why we're now stopping doing both of those things. Interesting. And yeah. so like, I think it is just about optimizing for that lifestyle business where, mm. you know, if, if, if my time is freed up, I may well decide to create another product, but I'll do it because it's exciting. Yeah, yeah. And the thought of making our productivity course feels fun. We're potentially building our own productivity app. That feels fun. We're trying to build our own mechanical keyboard, laptop backs, backpacks. That seems fun. It's just like, I'm unlikely to just sort of twiddle my thumbs and play Diablo if I suddenly had time freed up. I'm more likely to do things yeah. that seem exciting. So Yeah. I also I want to push that. back a little Please. bit on the big check thing. I think there's definitely an element of wanting uh, to be validated financially for the work. But I think a lot of what really drove us was validation from the industry yeah, totally. and from peers. Totally. And even you, before we started recording, saying like, wow, you guys seem like you are the creator show or mm. the creator hub. Yep. I was like, oh, well, like that's, that's exciting to me. Like yeah, that level totally. of validation is part of what we craved uh, and okay, wanted. Yes. And Samir, you are also really good at understanding and navigating the monetization side of this business. Yeah, you know what I agreed. Mean? I, I think that comes from like, uh, there's a lot to unpack of why, uh, but I think my relationship with money has been very complex. And so like receiving it was even more complex because I realized it wasn't the thing that was validating. <laughs> you know, but it, it may have been it's what, necessary in terms of a, a opportunity to take a, a breath. Yes, for know? sure. Mm. It, it was a weight off my back yeah. to be like, uh, you know, it's it's a quantifiable version of value. And we operate in these crazy in this crazy industry where everything is a quantifiable number that yeah. associates a value to you. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like I was talking to my brother about this. Every piece we put out has a value metric next to it. Right. Then there's a dollar metric next to, you know, how we're performing. There's a subscriber metric. There's so many public metrics that are quantifiable versions of how valuable you are. Yep. Yeah. It is a strange experience to yeah. to have your whole life surround those, um, but yeah, I think I I recognize that like, you know, the outcome of the financial outcome is exciting, but uh, there's a certain cap to like, okay, this is enough now, yeah. that's enough. I can I I have a pretty simple life, so like, I don't need that much money, but I come here every day and work on projects and work on, you know, irrationally irrational creative projects that are just, we just do because they're fun. Mm. You know? That's a good place to be. Yeah, it's a great place yeah. to be. The, I, I guess, so there's a guy who I, who I spent a bit of time with called Bill Perkins. Um, he is a ridiculously rich guy. He's written a book called Die With Zero. It's a great book. It's basically about how to make the most from your money and your life. 
And its kind of whole thesis is that fundamentally money is a tool and you should therefore aim to die with zero in the bank account hmm. kind of thing. So, you know, cash in the money for experiences when you're young. Give the money away yeah. to your kids when they're younger and they actually can use it, not when they're 68 on average. Give the money away to charities because pe pe people are dying right now, not on your deathbed. All of those, all of those things. Um, and I kind of asked him that like, you know, what about the people who say that they enjoy their work and the work just happens to bring the money? And his point was that like, well, you know, uh, a heroin addict says that they enjoy heroin. Uh, a crackhead claims to enjoy crack. Yeah. And what are the chances that like the thing that you would genuinely do if you had, if you could do whatever you wanted just happens to be the thing that you stumbled into because most people stumble into their jobs yeah. from like various, various accidents. Like what are the chances? Come on, have a bit more imagination. And he was saying that like, he's at least like a billionaire and knows all loads of other billionaires. He was like, rich people are the, are the, are the dumbest people because they continue to work for this tool because at some point it stopped becoming about the fulfillment that the money could buy them and became more about chasing the money for its own sake. Mm. And they convince themselves that that's actually, that's actually fun. Yeah. And then I speak to entrepreneur friends because, you know, whenever I interview someone on my podcast who's like a, you know, multimillionaire entrepreneur, I, I ask them like, you know, why, why, why do you still do this? Like you've made all the money. Like you actually don't need money right now. And they always say, because it's fun. Like I enjoy buying and selling companies. I enjoy building businesses. And so I, d I don't know the answer here, but like, Clearly there is some part of, if you genuinely had all the money in the world, there's probably some things that we would, that we would, that we would stop doing. Like, I'd like to think that if I had all the money in the world, I'd continue making YouTube videos, but I'd probably make them on my own, my, my own schedule whenever I felt like it. Certainly wouldn't making them at this, at the frequency that I'm making them now. Then why am I making videos at the frequency I am now? Is it because I'm chasing more money, even though I claim not to want more money? Because mm. more money is always like nice and it feels more safe and more status. Is it because I'm chasing like more subscribers because then I get to feel as if I'm a thought leader and I have more subscribers than other people? Like, what am I actually chasing here? Like, what's the what's mm. the idol that I'm I'm worshiping at the at the feet of? And I don't know. I think it's it's complicated. And I think a lot of um, entrepreneurs end up building themselves a prison sometimes. Yeah, you know, and and they have the key to it but they sit inside of, of the prison cell and they're like, I don't like this anymore, but now I am here. Yeah. You know, and I don't have a choice anymore. Honestly, I think I, I journal about this most, most weeks, just like this question of why am I, why am I really doing this? Um, because like, it's, it still somewhat surprises me when I realize I can take a week off and I, when I realize mm -hmm. I actually don't have to mm -hmm. film a YouTube video. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're, wait a minute. I, I can just do what I want. Like, I've got enough money. I've got enough money coming in. I don't need to film this YouTube video. We don't have deadlines on the sponsorship. But I still feel this compulsion that like, <gasps> the upload schedule. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the algorithm. For sure. <laughs> you know, they've not yet added the take a break button that you guys yeah. <laughs> advised <laughs> with your Emma Chamberlain thing. Yeah. Um, and so, what is this prison that I've created for myself? I don't know. I yeah. think I'd like to again, sort of build, build a business that's not reliant on view counts yes. where I can just genuinely make a video whenever I feel like it. Mm. And it's almost like that midwit meme, you know, it's like mm. that IQ bell curve or on like the dumb end of the IQ spectrum, you know, the person says, I make a video whenever I feel like it. In the middle, they're like, oh, I make a video on an upload schedule. I do title and thumbnail beforehand. I optimize the hooks. I look at analytics. I look at retention. And on the other end of the curve, I make a video whenever I feel like. And I'd like to get to a point where <laughs> on the other side of mm -hmm. all of the yeah. bullshit, I make a video whenever I feel like That's it. Really and funny. I don't think too hard about it. We're probably both sitting in the middle there. Yeah, I yeah. think so. <laughs> it's got to be tight and thumbnail before, otherwise what's the point, like, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do want to talk about YouTube. You know, like, I think, like, obviously we are all really into YouTube. That's mm. 
what we're doing here. It's what we talk about. Um, and I, I'm curious about like the, as you sit down to think about YouTube videos, like how much you think about some of your formats um, that you explore mm. and like what, what is fun for you about some of these formats? What is fun for you about the process of making videos? What have you learned about making videos? You know, what do you teach in your class basically? <laughs> Yeah, that's about six weeks worth of me <laughs> spieling yeah, about. You can bill us for yeah. that. There's yeah, <laughs> um, a lot there. So what have I, I think at least the way I approach it is I want to share something that could be useful to at least one person watching it. Um, that's a, it's not necessarily the advice I would give to a complete beginner because I think once you once you have scale, then you have the luxury of being able to sort of make whatever videos you want to an extent. The way we think about it now is like title and thumbnail comes first and my team will work on the title and thumbnail because I don't really enjoy that part of it yeah. because that's like marketing and I don't inherently enjoy that. And they'll just give me a title and thumbnail. They're like, all right, I'll eat. you know, this is the video. And I'll be like, cool, I'll make it happen. And then I go within and I go to a coffee shop and I think about it and I'll do some research on the internet and I'll think what personal stories from my life I've got that vibe with this particular title and thumbnail and I'll turn it into a thing like a list of talking points, mm -hmm. and then I'll film the video. That's our process now. Before it was very different. A lot of like trying to look within and figure out like, okay, I'm making productivity videos. Oh, you know, I'm currently working as a doctor and I'm doing this YouTube thing on the side. So what are the strategies I'm genuinely using and making making the videos about that? But the whole like, yeah, how we, how we do YouTube is like a big, 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 thing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's hot yeah. to. <laughs> here's, here's, here's what we pulled when we looked at some of the formats. We felt like you were following some, you know, formats. Mm. The, the, the most popular one that you do is a list. Nine productivity or nine passive income. Yeah. 17 things I can't live without. Especially those strange numbers, the yeah. nine or yeah. the 17. Oh yeah. yeah. It's like, well, this number. must be yeah. incredibly specific. Of right. course right. there's 17 things. The thing is like yeah. every everything is a list. Um, this is some like, like, you know, in, I think this is advice from like nonfiction writing. Fundamentally, every nonfiction book is a listicle. It's just like sometimes packaged up in a non-listicle oh, kind of way. Atomic Habits is a listicle. The Four Habits of Behavior Change. The Four Hour Work Week is a listicle. Every, everything is a listicle Whoa. at the end of the day. Interesting. Um, and so this is something that we, we say to our students in the YouTuber Academy. When in doubt, just think about list. Just like what is the list of things if you were talking to yourself from two years ago, what is three or five or seven? Well, we, like, we like odd numbers. Three or five or seven mm -hmm. things you would, have, you, you would have wanted to know and then just talk about those things. And that's it. An online course is a list, three to five modules. Mm. Each lesson has, each module has like three-ish lessons in it. The first one is about the philosophy and the overview. The second one is about the step-by-step -step method. The third one is about like do's and don'ts. You've got an online course. It's a listicle. Mm. Everything is a listicle at the end of the day. So wow, we, we lean very heavily into listicles. That's yeah. good. I like that. That's good. I, I, it helps you organize your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Story yeah. so good. Totally. And yeah. then for the audience, you have to get to the end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our retention curves are still like, yeah, the, <laughs> okay, you don't have to get the, to the usual end. ones. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But that is interesting because I find that actually to be just good advice in general. Like mm. if there's anything, if there's, whenever I feel overwhelmed, I make a list. Mm. That's just like what mm. I do. Yeah. Uh, or like if we have a video project and I'm like, how's it going to get done? I write steps, which is a list. Yeah. What a fascinating thing. I wonder why, why does the human mind work like that? Just because it's like algorithmic almost of like first this, then that, yeah. or if this, then that, and then this, then that. I, I don't know. Is yeah, that I mean, it's, it's, it's basically things in a, like the, the reason I like numbered lists rather than bullet points is because the numbered list forces you to organize it in a sensible way. Whereas bullet points, you can, you can sort of yeah, organize it all, over the, place, all yeah. over the place. Yeah, yeah. So I just love a numbered list. 
Like, you know, whenever people say to me, like, oh, it's really hard making a course. I'm like, all right, let me speak to you right now. What are the five things mm -hmm. that you would tell me if you, if you could only pick five things, what are the five things you would tell me about how to land better brand deals? You know, we may five. need to adjust our course. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, I teach you about. Well, ours is in a. No, yeah, yeah, it's, it's in four modules mm -hmm. with each module having steps. Great. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah. that's there we go. <laughs> it's It's list within lists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everything is a list. That's um, so good. And the nice thing about this is, you know, one of, one of the philosophies that we teach on our YouTuber Academy, which is like my whole philosophy of YouTube, is find a way to systemize it as much as possible. Because it's just really, really hard to try and create something from scratch every single time. Yeah. And, you know, one video a week for like years, we've, we've done like 600 and something videos over the last six years. That's on average two videos a week. Um, it's completely unsustainable if you're having to reinvent the wheel every single time. Yeah. Which is why I don't envy entertainment YouTubers because they are having to reinvent the wheel every single time. Yeah. But as a educational YouTuber, all you need is a title, a thumbnail and a list. And title, thumbnail, list with like a reasonable hook or promise. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even like the word hook because it sounds too like- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Promise. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just like a promise. Um, yeah. What is the video actually about? You know, the title is 17 Purchases That Save Me Time. In this video, we're going to talk about 17 Purchases That Save Me Time. Number one is a padlock. Here's why I use a padlock. Number two is this, blah, 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 blah. Talk to me about the this. padlock. Because I brought great. that up to Samir today. I watched that one this yeah. morning. And I was like, this guy carries around a padlock in his bag and a padlock in his jacket. Yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> the skeptic in me <laughs> no, no, was like, do you have one right now? Um, it's probably in my bag, actually. Yeah. Because I wouldn't have un un unboxed it. Yeah, from the bag. I came in this morning and I was like, he was a bit angry. I was like, yeah. this guy really travels around with two <laughs> padlocks. I mean, I, I do, I'm not wearing a jacket right now. Okay. The weather in LA is pretty yeah, good. Yeah. Um, but certainly in winter, I would have a padlock in my jacket, a padlock in my bag. So you know, if I'm out, if I'm out and about, I can go to the gym whenever I want to because I don't have to worry about the padlock situation. It, it's actually really practical because you can like, it, it's almost like liberating because you can actually leave things in places. Yeah, if you lock them up, you go to a so place good. with a locker. Oh yeah, no, which or, is the gym, or yeah. you lock yeah. your thing. Oh, shit. I don't know. I didn't realize, yeah, yeah you lock it to, a to like a pole or a table. Yeah, what a great, what a great yeah. idea. Padlock your things. Okay. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe I'll be converted. Dude, yeah. you should launch Padlock as merch. You know, Padlock's yeah. as merch. Yeah. Mate, physical products. Physical products. <laughs> that one stood out to me. So the Padlock really stood out to me when I was yeah. watching the video. Nice. I was like, this is yeah. fascinating. Yeah. But I, I like that framework of like, you know, all you need is is a uh, idea, thumbnail, or you say title, thumbnail, and a mm. list. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I like that one. That's so good. PTL, title, thumbnail, list. That's like very liberating for, I have like this desire to make YouTube videos like that. I just have a lot to say yeah. about things that I've observed and learned about even non-YouTube topics, just mm. like life and self-discovery yeah. and relationships. And I sit down to write and I almost feel ridiculous when I'm like 10 things I wish I knew before I was 20, you know, or like- I'd I, absolutely watch that video. That yeah, would be so interesting. Great. Yeah. Yeah, great. I guess, I guess it's, it feels like too cliche and I get in my head of like the creative in me gets- really upset with that, you know? And I'm like, mm. I'm like, no, dude, come on. You gotta like push that. What's that title? Or like Atomic Habits, that that book really impacted me mm. dramatically. And I have a lot to say about how that impacted yeah. me. And I've tried writing it in so many different ways, yeah. like creative entry points. And like the filmmaker in me goes insane with yeah. these mm -hmm. topics. But that actually is like, I'm gonna try the simple version of that and just try and film it. You need some strengths like yeah, to get it done. Even when you just said, tell me the five things that, if you could only tell me five things about how to mm. get better, better brand deals, it's actually a really helpful framework because that's the final, like the, the culmination of our course ends in like you really learning that meat. Yeah. And I'm like, I have a hundred things to say about this. <laughs> yeah. And what we got to when we got to that final chapter was like, I got stressed out of like, is this another course? Mm. 
did, did we just build this all into everything builds on top of each other until mm. you're ready to, to build kind of your pitch. Um, and when we got there, I was like, I have so much to say. Yeah. Uh, and now I, I think even thinking now of like taking a finer look at that and going, is there five really important things? That's actually more, Yeah. that constraint is really helpful. Or, or even just uh, packaging it up into five different categories of things. Yeah. Because if right, you have right, like 15 right. things to say, you can probably turn it into a five by three list. Probably. Dude, you are a, you're a list master. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think good. I think one of the things that I that I find separates me from the more creative type people is that I don't think of myself as a creative. Mm. I don't think of myself as a filmmaker because my background wasn't teaching. And my background yeah, wasn't like, like yeah, web designing type stuff. Yeah. And so I, it, it it was like three years into my YouTube journey before I realized what ISO ISO meant on a camera. Because I was just like ISO auto. It's like people would be like, oh, you know, you're shooting on a flat picture profile. I'd be like, no, I'd be like, I'd, I'd look at Becky and Chris's video. Be like, How are they so so good? It's like they shoot an S log three. I tried that one time. Screw that. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. Never again. <laughs> yeah. um, and so the way I think is always just like, how do I transmit this information in a sensible fashion? Yeah. Without worrying about like the the fact that it's a video or mm. it's a film or it has any creative elements. I let the editors you know, that, deal with that. That might post. come from your experience live teaching. Like being in front of students, Ooh, yeah, maybe. right, mm -hmm. and being like, I'm. J it's just a a way to scale that, yeah. right? It's like I'm just speaking to this lens instead of this group of people. Yeah, interesting. Um, man, that was just the first format we observed. <laughs> so then I do the, I do think everything is a list, but like I'm yeah. curious if you've so I'm, any other. Formats. I'm curious about this. Like the 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 next one was the external factor that impacted me. So the book that changed my life. Oh, okay, fine. Do you That's, agree with that as a uh, format? Again, it's a listicle, but it's yeah, a title, the title, the title, is, would the be title like is formatted. Yeah, in a, but inside of it is a list. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, interesting, like, these are the five lessons I took away from yeah. the courage to be disliked. These are the three lessons I took away from Atomic Habits. Yeah, easy. The, the other yeah. one is like the personal journey, which is like you exploring. You know, you're super transparent again, mm. how, like things, your biggest mistakes, right? Yeah. As as an entrepreneur, or as, yeah, as that's a, a list, that, which is a list. Um, <laughs> there is something the, the the hero's journey template yeah, that we do some, right. we sometimes use. Yeah. Um, which is basically, you know, it's it's like the story um, across civilizations. There's always it's it's always like every every interesting story follows the same template. Yeah. And you've got a main character, and they're in a they're in a place like the Shire, and then someone comes to them and gives them a call to adventure, and then they're like, oh, I don't want to go, and then the mentor is like, yeah, you should go on this adventure, and they're like, all right, I'm going to go on the adventure, and they leave the Shire, they go on the adventure. There's trials and tribulations, there's struggles along the way, and they ultimately overcome the struggles, and they come back to the Shire. They're changed externally because they've been through this adventure, but there's something about them that changes internally as well. There is a lesson that they've learned along the journey. Mm. So it's Harry and he's going to Hogwarts yeah. and coming back home, you know, Anakin Skywalker from Tatooine, and then he comes back home at some point to like slaughter all the people. It's just like, it's all part of the hero's journey. Um, and so essentially it's like, who is the main character? What do they want? Why can't they get what they want? What's holding them back? How do they get what they want? And then what's the lesson? It's just like a five. Is that a six, list? I mean, honestly, it's like seven <laughs> things. We have this as part of our sort of how to like yeah. video notion template. Yeah. Um, just like these seven questions. And if a video does not lend itself to a listicle, or if I'm feeling a bit more creative, I'll answer these questions to the video and it will become a hero's journey journey, mm. journey type video. You are an excellent teacher. Thank you. Like yeah. that that was so concise and well. It was so articulate. It was visual, even yeah. though it was just auditory. Oh, right. I'm glad you think so. In my head, I was thinking, oh crap, I'm kind of rambling here. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> is it not coming out right? I hope they fix it post. <laughs> yeah, so. I could like see it in my head. Yeah, yeah, I was like visualizing graphics in my yeah, head. I don't yeah. know if that's because we're 
YouTube creators, but like mm. I was like seeing graphics come together. Um, and then you went and backed it up with like tangible things that we could understand, like Harry Potter mm. or mm. Star Wars. That was so interesting how you just did that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. this is what the course is about. So right, been right. talking about this ad nauseum yeah. for three years now. <laughs> it's one thing that I, I find really interesting about your YouTube videos is like, you are very camera confident. Mm-hmm. Like you do show up and speak in a way that's so approachable. And I think it's what softens the blow sometimes of sharing revenue numbers and sharing money mm. because we've tried to do some of that in different ways. We were working on a studio tour of this place Ooh, yeah, and it never came out because we were very, it just didn't, the format didn't work for us. Like mm. it just didn't, didn't hit. I feel like it didn't deliver. It didn't like, we were very self-conscious about it. And at one point in the tour, we also uh, talked about how much rent we pay for yep. the studio. And it was so uncomfortable to share. Like it just didn't, it felt like we were bragging or maybe we were like, it didn't feel authentic in the way mm. that when you share stuff, it it's like very, I don't know. It's smooth. It's smooth. And, and we have developed this show because the best version of myself is when I'm not looking at a camera, I'm looking at you. Yep. The camera's here yep. and everyone can hear me, but now they can hear me being myself because I'm not looking in the lens. And I find myself, like, I think I'm a pretty confident person. Like, I, mm. I can do it on a stage. But when I'm alone with a lens, I, it's so different for me. I, I needed this show to be able to be myself so I don't look at the camera. I feel a lot, a lot of this is in your head. So, like, would you be comfortable saying how much the studio costs on this? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, mainly because we talked about it before. Yeah. But yeah. So how, much, how much does it cost? We pay $16,000 a month. $16,000 a month? Yeah. And if you said that to the lens, how does it feel? Uh, I can't look at them. No, No, I mean, it's, it's, it feels interesting because what it feels like is like, you know, immediately some, like there potentially is like a snap judgment or like there's a narrative that goes along with that. And that's, that's, what's the, what's the narrative that you're concerned about? Is it excessive? Okay. Potentially. Like, do you need it? And I think the reality is you don't need it. Oh, so why do you do it? It's a lot of money. That's more than I pay on my studio. It's a lot. Yeah. And this area is expensive. Yeah. When it comes down to it, we want a space like this. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. it's a little bit of the die with zero mentality of yeah. like, this is how we want to spend our days in a place that's really nice and has uh, natural light, fresh air, a kitchen is in a really beautiful area. Yeah. Like, we are enjoying these days. I would go even one step further of like when we sat and evaluated this expense, we thought about context of the show, how we wanted to grow was being a space that creators wanted to come hang out at. Mm. Yeah. So that to me was like, so now that's the most important expense. Yeah. Do we have a space that when you walk in, you're like, this is cool. Yeah. And that was your experience, right? Yeah. I freaking love this place. It's fantastic. You, you walked in and you were kind of like, oh shit, this is really cool. Yeah. And at the same time as you were here, we had a bunch of other creators here mm-hmm. and they were sitting and having lunch on the couch. And they weren't even here to do something. Like, they weren't here to collaborate. They were here to hang. And that was important to me. Mm. That like we were building a space that can invite creators in. So as you're describing that, do you feel a sense of like self-consciousness and cringe at the no. fact you've said, yeah. Not at all. I actually, again, you're here to help me yeah. work through this <laughs> What stuff, I worry really about helpful. sometimes uh, with the studio tour video is are we saying this without any context of- right? why we pay this much or why we want to be in a space like this. Do we, I get so in my own head of, of that. And it, and it does feel for like 
two guys who didn't make money for a long period of time. It feels crazy. And it felt like a huge risk yeah. at the time. Yeah. Uh, and now, you know, with the way we run the business, it's like clear that we'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, it was a justifiable risk because of what I just said. Yeah. Because if we weren't doing that, then, you know, if we if we weren't living out what we actually wanted, which was to have a space, a physical hub that creators felt good about coming to and, you know, that was in a in a space that was um, really cool and safe and we felt good about it. And then, yeah. And we've thrown like, events here. Uh, we run- Look at us justifying this to you. Yeah. No, Ollie, it's really worth it, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. You, you've become our therapist, um, just so you know. I think it's like- the thing is, so it's 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 interesting hearing you guys say to me that you feel I come across as like smooth or whatever when I'm sharing numbers and, and things yeah. like that. Because the amount of like takes I have to do to get the tone <laughs> right when talking about numbers yeah. is just fucking absurd. Yeah, yeah It's just yeah. like so many of them. Right. And, you know, this is why probably, probably why I don't like the hooks of videos because as soon as I hit record, it's like all of the pressure is on the first 30 mm. seconds. And so what I've started doing is I'll just record the hook at the end. Yeah. So I'll just launch straight into all right, well, point number one is blah, 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 blah. And then at the end of the video, yeah. once I've, I've made the video, in this video, we're going to be talking about, I'll, oh, I'll do the, yeah, yeah. redo the intro. Um, but in my head, it's like, oh, every time I re reveal revenue numbers, it's like scary and like people are going to judge me and it's going to be awful. And in your guys' minds, you're saying, that's smooth, it's fine. Similarly, I would absolutely watch your studio tour. I think it would be absolutely fascinating. And hearing you talk candidly about the numbers, even where maybe you switch to a podcast segment mm. where you're talking to each other about the numbers mm -hmm. or even just including this segment, done. It's like, it, it comes across as so natural and so like, wow, that's so inspiring. I feel inspired hearing the hearing the, about the fact that you're spending 16K a month on this place. And I'm like, wow, you guys know what you want. You've got your dream. You've been working your asses off for the last like 10 years to get here. And now here you are in this absolutely sick studio surrounded by friends and team members and random mm -hmm. creators coming to hang out, inviting people like, you know, Tim Ferriss into your studio to hang out. That's so sick. This mm -hmm. is fantastic. Mm -hmm. what, a, what a setup that you guys have created. What a testament to like the hard work, the inspiration, yeah. the you know, the grinding and the strategy that you guys have combined yeah. to get mm. here. That's so sick. Super inspiring for anyone, appreciate anyone watching this I stuff. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And I would say that also when we set out on the channel, we had two goals, which is really interesting. The two outcomes we wanted from having the Colin and Samir YouTube channel was a creative office on the west side of Los Angeles and a creative team that we liked working with every day. Those were the two goals. You got and, it. And we've achieved it, the which, the is, which, is, yeah. which is actually a strange experience. Strange, is it? It's a strange experience to, um, like I find that at any given point uh, in my entrepreneurial journey, I've been either um, in pursuit of, or constantly been in pursuit of something. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. And then when you uh, arrive at something that felt like a ridiculous pursuit, like yeah. it wasn't going to happen, it's almost like this reestablishment of like, is the pursuit over? Have I arrived? Is it now time to be present or is it time to develop a new pursuit? Mm. And, and am I working to maintain? Yeah. Or am I working to grow something yes. new? Mm. Uh, right. and, and I got to speak to a business coach uh, who's kind of like a life coach, uh, great guy, um, who put it into context for me of like, having arrived at this moment is like meeting a new version of yourself. And it, that's like meeting a stranger. So like prior to this, there was like a scarcity mindset of not having things. It didn't have opportunities, revenue, viewership, didn't have the things. Mm -hmm. When you arrive to the place where you do have those things, 
you're now in an abundant mindset or yeah. you're living in abundance, right? And you're now meeting a new version of yourself, the abundant version. And that is like developing a relationship with a stranger mm. and will take the same amount of time uh, to meet this new version of yourself. Mm. There's a there's a quote the, there's a quote I heard recently which is the, your internal identity lags about two years behind yes. your external reality. Hundred mm. percent, dude. Hundred percent. Yeah. It's like I definitely feel that for myself. Where you know, you know the the book I've been writing for the last almost two years now. At the start of the journey, I felt so much imposter syndrome around like who am I to be writing a book? Like what the hell? Why would anyone listen to what I have to say? And my agent and my writing coach and our editor, everyone was, it, it was just, every session would be like a therapy session to be like, oh, it's okay. You got this. Like people care what you have to say. Don't worry <laughs> about it. Like all of, all of this kind of stuff. And even now I think, you know, we were looking at the stats and according to the publisher, I'm like the world's most followed productivity expert, depending on how you define productivity expert. And I was like, okay, but it still feels weird to be releasing a book about productivity because I don't feel like an authority. I don't feel like mm. I know anything. It's like, why, why would anyone listen to me? Um, but from the outside... Like even when I when I launched the YouTuber Academy, I said to Tiago and David Prell on this on the Zoom call, I was like, guys, like, why would anyone want to learn about YouTube from me? I've only got 1.2 million subscribers. And they just laughed. They were like, dude, <laughs> you have no idea what you have no idea what you're talking about. I was like, yeah, but like Mr. Beast has like 40 million at the time or something like that. And they were like, yeah, Mr. Beast is not teaching. Of course, people want to learn from you. They want to learn the systems, they want to learn the part-time thing. And I think often it takes, I at least I find it takes speaking to other people to to kind of give me the permission almost mm. to step into that new identity and feel mm -hmm. comfortable with it. It feels, it feels kind of weird otherwise. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. I've had a similar experience with public speaking. We've done a lot of public speaking yeah. in this career. And in the beginning and every time leading up to speaking, I always think, I'm not someone who does public speaking. Yeah. yeah. I'm not good at this. There's no reason for me to be on stage. And then I'm terrified that I'm going to bomb. Mm. I get off stage and I go, oh, I'm pretty well. People laughed, people found it interesting, people were engaged. Yeah. And it took so many, it still does, but it took so many reps of doing it to then now look at myself now and go, oh yeah, no, I am someone who does public speaking and I actually think I am relatively good at it. Yeah. And that is now becoming a part of my identity, mm -hmm. but it's taken. Yeah, yeah. Truly, like you said, two years, three years to feel that way. I, I think it's similar with, um, you know, when people start making YouTube videos for the first time, everyone is terrible on camera. And you know, what we find from all of our students is like, oh, you know, it took me half an hour to film a video that was only 10 minutes. I'm like, half an hour? It's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It takes me about an hour to film yeah. a video that's <laughs> only 10 minutes. And they're like, oh, really? Yeah. And at one point we just put out a sort of raw version of like, we just uploaded oh it as unlisted God. and shared it to all our students. Just your raw take? A raw take of like me recording a, <laughs> a video. And everyone was like, oh my God, that's so reassuring to see. Like, yeah. The, the slip ups and the the swearing <laughs> yeah, and the yeah. sort of the swe the trying swearing, to clap, yeah. clap and, uh, and all, yeah. all, all, all the that sweating stuff. and like the all of that vomiting. kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then I, re I remember early on in my YouTube journey on Hank Green's second channel, he uploaded one of these videos. Mm. It was like a totally raw version. Because you know his, his normal video is like yeah. four minutes long. Yeah, yeah. This was like 24 minutes long. And it was a lot of, it was, <sighs> yeah. it was, <sighs> this kind of thing. Yeah. And it was so painful to watch. And I was like, oh, that's so reassuring because that's how it feels mm. to, to film a video. Yeah. And the fact that I know that Hank Green, who's been doing this for 10 years, also films a video like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fills me with profound relief that this is exactly how I film a video as it well. It says so much about comparison, mm. you know, just our like in, inherent desire to compare. Yeah. You know, at every 
juncture. Yeah. I just find that to be interesting. Yeah, I think uh, during the pandemic, recording YouTube videos in the loft I was living in with uh, my now wife, um, she would get so annoyed because I would repeat the same line a hundred times. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think Madeline thought I was crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah in a studio yeah. apartment yeah. and I'm just like, talking to this camera yeah, and yeah. like getting angry at myself. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, and you enjoy this? Yeah. <laughs> this is sometimes what I say. I, I, feel, I feel like a lot of the time filming is the least enjoyable part. Yeah. Um, but at some point I get into the groove of it and the more I can think of the camera as like a friend almost. Yeah, and actually yeah. I find that having a microphone in front of me helps because if I don't have a microphone, I, I kind of feel the need to kind of perform like this and this kind of stuff. And it's a bit more... Whereas if I had the microphone in front of me, I can just mm. be myself a mm -hmm. bit more. It feels a bit more chill and that feels really comfortable. So I'm trying to yeah. trying to get to a point where talking to a camera feels like talking to a friend. So I'm shuffling around all these papers still. Um, it's the most amount of papers I've ever had in front of me. I mean, it's literally it. your entire financial breakdown. Um, nice. But <laughs> the, um, the, the one thing I did want to address because like the process of making videos um, starts out as like a very individual experience, right? It's just you, the camera, and you're editing. Um, and then as you grow, you add team members. How many team members do you have right now? We have 14. 14 team members. Yeah. And those are split between uh, the courses and the YouTube channel? Yeah, so we have Content Squad and we have Money Squad. Okay, so that's how you think about it. That's content, funny. Yeah. content Squad is, you know, their job is to help me make free content that helps people build a life they love. And Money Squad's job is to help make the money that sustains the business. <laughs> Got it. And how many people are on each? And tell me some so, of the roles. Okay, so Money Squad, we have Allison is head of customer success. We've got Tommy, who's a head of product. We've got Jakob, who's a head of marketing. And that's it. Okay. And then Content Squad is the other 10. The other 10. Yeah. Got it. And Ish. Yeah, because we've got two editors, um, podcast producer, YouTube producer, social media person A, social media person B, website guy, Um Bav, my assistant, who used to be in Money Squad as head of operations for the YouTube channel, uh, YouTuber Academy, um, and then Angus, our general manager. Interesting. Do, do you think that sometimes people on Money Squad want to be on Content Squad? Like, is there like a rivalry between them or like any like desire to be like, oh, I wish I was like, Money Squad has such a cool vibe. Like, oh, like, <laughs> intercompany sports or anything. Yeah. You know, one, one thing I do occasionally hear is that like, oh, it seems like Content Squad has so much fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Money yeah. Squad is the one that's like doing the launches. This yeah. is when our launches it, was quite, it. and it's yeah. like, we've got all these students that are paying a lot of money. It's really stressful. And Money Squad always has deadlines. Mm. Whereas they'll hear me say, guys, screw the deadlines. I don't want deadlines. Oh, and they're like, yeah. oh, you know, Content I wish we didn't have cool. deadlines. Yeah, yeah. But now we're so, going to Evergreen. Yeah. Money Squad will also yeah. not have deadlines. So Angus, your general manager. Yeah. Can you talk to us about that role? What does he do? Okay, so this is interesting. Um, Angus started off as a freelance like writer because I was thinking, oh, if someone can convert my videos into blog posts, it's good for SEO or something like that back in like 2020. And... And then he joined for like one day a week, then two days a week, then four days a week. Um, and then pandemic hit and he's lo he lost his other freelance gigs. So then we joked that he moved up to eight days a week as like his his role. And he was sort of basically the first, um, I mean, other than Christian, our editor, he was the first like actual employee of the business. And be sort of became my right-hand person, kind of doing literally anything and everything. It's basically his first job fresh out of university. He also went to Cambridge. And so we happened to be in the same town, which was awesome because we could meet in person. And so the thing that I generally advise people is once you've outsourced your editing, which is like a huge weight off your shoulders, find someone who is like a jack of all trades who can be your right-hand person. Mm -hmm. And then like, I think people make the mistake of trying to hire specialist writers or specialist yeah. XYZ, but actually a generalist is so helpful in the early days. And so now what Angus does is like, he's sort of become sort of the, the general manager of the business over time. There's kind of a model that um, 
there's a guy called Daniel Priestley who's become a friend and mentor. He's written a bunch of books about business. His his whole model for sort of how a creative business can work is you have a key person of influence who's like the usually the YouTuber, i.e. me, in in the thing, in in the top seat. And then underneath that person, you have a general manager. And then underneath the general manager, you have the whole team. Now, in between the key person of influence and the general manager, there is a cloud. And the job of the key person of influence is to stay above the clouds. And the job of the general manager mm. is to stay below the clouds. Yeah. And any time the key person of influence has to come below the clouds down to the ground to get involved in meddling in the business, you know you've got a problem. And this is like, you know, the, the way he describes this is, is like, you know, Michael Jordan with the Chicago Bulls. Michael Jordan should not be selling tickets. He should not be sweeping the floors. He should not be editing the videos. He should not be doing the social media posts. He should be just doing whatever the fuck he wants and occasionally rocking up and shooting hoops. And if he's is winning, the whole team is winning, everyone's happy. And the job of Scottie Pippen and the rest of the team is to allow Michael Jordan to be Michael Jordan. And so it's a bit of a grandiose analogy, uh, but I think that's the kind of role of a general manager. It's like they are the person who handles everything in the business so that the creator can focus on doing what they fundamentally enjoy and are great at, i.e. going like, you know, talking to a camera, building the key relationships with people, going on podcasts, doing mm -hmm. the public speaking, doing the that kind of stuff. And all of the day-to-day -day is taken care of by the general manager who manages the whole team. So now I don't actually manage anyone. The only person I have one-on-ones with is Angus. And Angus manages everyone else on the team, the other 12 people. That's and so that's good. that's a sick wow. setup. So Dude, the, um, that's, that was so helpful. Um, and that's something that we're actively working towards. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I find that I, like my dream is to be above the clouds, but I live below the clouds. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. I live below the clouds and like, I am very in the weeds of, of everything. Yeah. And at the same time, this craft, I love like the craft of how do you have this conversation? How mm. do you, how do I follow my natural curiosity, but also make something that is valuable to, yeah. to others. And that craft, I would like the next chapter of my career to focus on this craft. Okay. Uh, I would like to focus on this craft of being an interviewer and being, you know, a conversationalist and also the craft of exploring other creative ideas. Yeah. But I find that I spend so much time in the nitty gritty of the business yeah. that I'm drained by the time I have to focus on the craft. Why do you spend so much time in the nitty gritty of the business? I, I think there's a lot of like um, trust that I, you know, that it's, it's hard for me to, to get over of like, I... I only trust myself to run it the way I want it to be run, right? Mm. And and I'm letting go quite a bit of that, and I have let go quite a bit over the past couple of years. Um, but finding who is that that right hand person that I can wholeheartedly trust, or just have a relationship with, um, that's I think the yeah the X factor. I think there have also been years where, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but self worth and identity was also somewhat tied to being that person, being yeah. that person yeah, yeah, who, for sure. who runs the business yeah, and for sure. with that side. So I yeah. think it's been a little bit of a changing of who you yes. identify as and who you well, are. I think um, what I've learned, and Amar from Yes Theory has really helped me understand this, uh, is that I started out wanting to be a creative, but no one would give me a chance. So mm -hmm. I built my own thing to be a creative. Yeah. Now I, that it's here, I'm ready to come back to that identity of like, wait, this whole thing 12 years ago started because I had the desire to be a creative. So that's, that's the thing is like, now can I build something where I'm allowed to be that person again? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Honestly, for me, that's been the, 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 the twisty turny journey of the last two, three years since first hiring the first team member 
how do I get to a point where I genuinely can be in the clouds and just do the creative stuff? Yeah. Because like the business flourishes when I just, when I focus on making YouTube videos. The Michael Jordan thing was really good. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that was good. It's a, a Dan Priestley analogy. This, is, um, this was a yeah. very long way of me asking you <laughs> um, the question of like, you know, as I mentioned, like finances tell a story. 2021, you made, you know, over $4 million. You spent 1.5. In 2022, you made 4.6 million and you spent 2.5. Mm. And you said this year you're on track to do over five and spend one? Two-ish. Oh, two-ish. 1.5 to two-ish. 1.5 to two-ish. Yeah. So uh, the the expenses is what tells me a story um, mm. of like, did you grow too quickly between 2020 and 2022? Oh, hell yeah. And, and if so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about incurring that much expense. Yeah. Because 2.5 million in expense is significant. Yeah. And that can be a prison of yes. like overhead. Yeah. Right? Of and like- I, And I, it absolutely was, yeah. And I have these wages to pay, I have these salaries mm. to pay, I have this rent to pay. I have this, yeah. and, and that's the thing I feel like, yeah, go ahead. Because I feel like I've, I, I hear the story from a lot of creators and I'm relating mm. to it in some ways. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So basically during the pandemic, um, everyone had an accelerant on their tra trajectory that was when we launched our YouTuber Academy and all of a sudden our revenue skyrocketed. And then we launched the second cohort and boom, that also did like 600K in revenue. Then we launched the third cohort and that did like 700, 800K in revenue or something absurd like that. And so it really felt like, oh my God, money's growing on trees. We're just, we've got this money printing machine, the part-time YouTuber Academy. Shit, like, okay, cool. We have all these students coming in. We need to hire all these people. It's like, okay, and like while we're here, let's also do this project and that thing and that thing and that thing and that thing. And all those things need people. And so let's hire all these people. And so at one point we jumped from like eight people full-time to 18 people full-time in the space of like a month. And that was a terrible idea. Um, everyone I know who runs a business, when I tell them that, they're like, yeah, that was, that's a terrible idea. Um, and I just didn't realize it at the time. In theory, it, every hire made perfect sense. In theory, if you know we want to make more YouTube videos and the bottleneck is the writing, let's just hire four writers. And then they can write in my voice because my voice is nothing special. I just read off a teleprompter and we'll, you know, we'll make four times as many videos. In reality, with four writers, we made half as many YouTube videos because it turns out that in theory, <laughs> that all works. In practice, it's really hard for someone to write a script in my voice. It's not, it doesn't feel authentic. I spent mm. hours and hours and hours editing the script. I don't even record from a script. I record from bullet points. So like, why the hell am I trying to record from a script? It's like, we made the mistake of bringing people in before the system was created. And then like that, the, the thing that I, I normally tell people now, which is like the real lesson learned is don't hire in the hope that the hire will lead to, will, will drive revenue, drive the revenue first and then make, and then mm. do the hire to like service the demand that you've already created. For example, now we have loads of people in our part-time YouTuber accelerator that needs lots of customer service. So I have no qualms with hiring more customer success people because we've already got the revenue. But if I try to hire someone more thinking, oh, that hire is necessary because we want to create a new thing, then that, that's going to become a problem because what if we don't create the new thing? Now that person's salary is sort of just adding to the overheads. Every new hire is like an exponential increase in the complexity of the business with all of the managerial overhead, communication overhead. And these are all things that I just, I, again, I knew in theory because I'd been reading them in business books, but only really appreciated them in practice when all of a sudden we had this enormous team of 18 people. And again, to quote Daniel Priestley on this, um, one thing that he says is that 12 is the sweet spot. As soon as you add a 13th person to the team, suddenly everything breaks because 12 people can fit around the same table. 
and 12 people can all basically be managed by the same general manager, just about. Like a general manager can have like 11 direct reports or 10 direct reports. As soon as you get to 13, now all of a sudden you need to split up into different teams. You need managers to manage those teams. And he calls it the, the desert territory where you're too big to be small and too small to be big in between 12 people and 40 people. 40 is when you're at the point where you're a big business, you're operating like a big business, you've got the systems, you've got the managers, you've got the leadership team, blah, 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 blah. But if you're trying to be a lifestyle business that's highly profitable, optimizing for fun, freedom, and flexibility, 12 is the sweet spot. And we just blew past 12 into the desert of 18 people. And I think it's just so true. Like now we have 14. So we kind of moved some people over to freelance contracts and stuff and sort of clawed it back down to 13 and now 14 people. And I'm starting to feel the pain of the desert now where it's like, oh, we can't just fit around the same table. We are having communication issues now. Mm. And so it's like, I think a lot of creators make the, mis make the mistake of wait waiting way too long to hire the first person because the first person you hire is such a big sort of massive leverage. But then beyond the first person, I'm now like just hire really, really, really slowly and take probation period seriously. Ideally yeah. start people off as freelancers if you have to go part-time and if you absolutely have to go full-time and bring them on payroll. Because fundamentally it's about prioritization. Like this is an another kind of big realization over the last year or so, which is that there's only ever one bottleneck. And that bottleneck, like trying to fix anything other than the one bottleneck, is just a total waste of time. It's like if you're at a, at a grocery store and the bottleneck is the checkouts, and you're trying to kind of optimize the sales funnels and stuff, or you're trying to optimize the experience of the customers. Like, but the bottleneck is like, there's only one checkout. Like you've got to open more lanes. You've got to fix the bottleneck because it, without fixing that bottleneck, nothing else upstream of the bottleneck or downstream of the bottleneck makes any sense to fix. And so what that really meant was that really drilling it down to what is the actual goal? Like, what is the thing that we're trying to do? Are we trying to optimize for like a metric like monthly views? Are we trying to optimize for email subscribers? Are we trying to optimize for book sales? Are we trying to optimize for revenue? What is the metric? And then what is the one needle moving thing that will move us most towards that metric? What is the bottleneck? What is stopping us from 10xing our revenue? Mm. Well, it's because we haven't got enough products. Cool. Why is no one working on products? Good point. Someone should probably be working on products. Cool. What's the next thing? Okay, well, we're only making one video a week. What if we made two? Would that move the needle? Yes. What's stopping us from making two videos a week? Oh, because we don't have enough editors. Okay, cool. Now let's get another editor. And so really like my whole thing yeah. has just been about bottleneck analysis and really ruthlessly prioritizing things. Because this is something I think Mr. B said in his interview with you guys that you filmed in that random warehouse in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> he said something like, and, and this has really stuck with me. He said that um, the mistake creators make is that they grow big and then they start doing all these things. Yeah. And then they neglect their YouTube channel and the main thing stops becoming the main yes. thing. And they realize, oh, all of these businesses were reliant on the YouTube channel and everything crumbles. And when I heard that, when you interviewed him yeah. like a couple of years ago, that really hit me because I was like, yeah. fuck, that's literally what we did. What we did. <laughs> we tried to grow too big too quickly. That line yeah. from him struck me a lot at yeah. that time. And I would say that Marquez said something really similar too mm -hmm. um, about like creators just grow so big and then they forget that like the craft is making really good YouTube videos and mm. that's what unlocks everything. Yeah, that, that's super interesting. I think um, it's very exciting to experience growth. It's very exciting to like understand that revenue is like abundant all of a sudden and it's yeah. coming in and you know Empty how to money. generate it. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> you're just like, so let's just get more people and that'll free me up. And then that does not, that does the opposite, yeah. you know? Um, it's it, I think it's a common tale for a lot of creators. And then like going, even from going to a lot of projects to being like, let's simplify, what are the two? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. There's the YouTube channel and there's one other thing. Yeah. yeah. You know, they, they, I've noticed that like, 
no matter what, we have a bunch of different creative projects right now. And when we focus on one, it flourishes and yep. the other fail. Yep. Or not fail, but they just aren't as, mm -hmm. they, they don't flourish, yeah. right? So it's like, you can only really creatively focus on one thing at a time. So having YouTube channel plus one is kind of how it works, Yeah, you know? And you think otherwise, you think it's like, this YouTube channel is an empire that can launch all these different things, but it's just not like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think like, again, I, I find myself giving this advice to so many creators now. It's like, just really understand what is the business model. Yeah. For most educational creators that I know, it's the YouTube channel and then sell a course. That's it. What do you think the leanest possible team is for that model? I think it's a video editor and a jack of all trades assistant. That's it. It's three people. Three yeah. people. Yeah. The video editor handles all the video editing and then right. the assistant, you know, you work on a product at one product at a time. They help with titles and thumbnails for the YouTube videos. Yeah. Boom, everyone's happy. Because it'd be really easy to go like generate 10 million and spend eight, yeah. you know, but the you can actually really comfortably do that in generating 10 and spending one. Yeah. yeah. You know? Uh, I mean, I don't yet know how to generate 10, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're, yeah. we're working yeah. on it. But you can like do the math to find it. You're halfway there. Yeah. The other, the, the other thing I've been thinking about a lot, which... um. I think is a is sort of a step change from how I used to think about YouTube. Previously, I used to think that like spend ages building an audience of people who know, like, and trust you, loads and loads of free content. And then at some point when you feel like pressing the monetization button, you can just build a product and then that product will suddenly, will, will suddenly sell. I think increasingly that's not the way to do YouTube anymore because increasingly subscriber count is becoming more and more meaningless over time. Even the people with millions of subscribers have to work really hard for their views. Oh, yeah. 100%. Like, yeah 100%. Every video is just like a, such a heavy lift. It's not like back in the day where, oh, you've got 10 million subscribers? Great. You're guaranteed 5 million views on no, every video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely not. And so if you're working so hard for your views and the only, only thing you're getting out of those views is like, obviously, there's the, the value to the audience of the view itself and maybe there's a sponsor on the video. But usually that's it. And so all of this effort to get those million views is kind of wasted. But if you had a product to sell at the end of it, where maybe those million views, you mentioned a lead magnet in the video. If it's like, I don't know, one of my videos about how to grow a YouTube channel. In that video, we'll say something like, and if you want to get my templates completely for free for how I structure videos and listicles, click the link below. That link, yes, it takes people off the platform, so a negative factor in the algorithm, but it takes people off the platform where they enter their email. Now I've got their email. And now I know they've expressed interest in starting a YouTube channel. So now when I send them an email, you know, obviously, you know, they opt in for permission and stuff. Hey, um, you know, I, I give them more and more value about how to start a YouTube channel or how to grow a YouTube channel. And then I sell them the course for $1,000. And so it's now like every view in that video, mm. maybe 5% of people, 1% of people will click the thing to get the free template. Now they're in my email list and now I can sell to the email list. So you're getting the, the double dip effect. Yeah. You're getting the revenue from AdSense. You're getting the inherent value from helping someone by giving them, you know, the view on the video. You're getting the revenue from the sponsor and you're also building your own email list and getting your own revenue. Mm. And I kind of think that like, maybe not from day one, but maybe like day you know, six months into the journey, people should really start thinking about what is the product they want to sell. Yeah. Because I know so many YouTubers who are dependent on AdSense and brand deals who have to hit a million views for the next upload because otherwise like, uh-oh, our sponsorship rates go down. Uh-oh, can't afford the team anymore. Hmm. If you just had a product to sell and you can find a way to keep that in mind as you're building the audience so you don't end up with an audience of broke students who only want free entertainment content because it's really hard to make a business off of that. Yeah. You keep that in mind. And now you're not so reliant on the views in theory. Would you recommend that most creators start building an email list? Yes. I think it's, it, it feels like 
it, okay, it, it, it kind of depends on the order. So um, I would say most creators should really think about making some sort of product, like an online course or something like that. It's way easier to sell an online course when you have an email list. And it's very easy to get an email list by giving away free stuff, like free assets. Hmm. So I don't recommend people start an email newsletter necessarily. Because I think that's the thing people default to because they see mine, yeah. they see yours. They're like, oh, start a newsletter. It's actually really hard to, start, to yeah, have yeah, a yeah. regularly regular newsletter. It's like a YouTube channel. Yeah. It's absolutely like a YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, whereas if, for example, the creator is, I don't know, doing finance content and they could give away a free PDF that has like 10 different side hustle ideas and that's behind an email sub. Now they're building an email list, but without actually having to provide the weekly thingies, um, the, the, the weekly content. Um but generally, the thing I'd, I'd recommend is instead of trying to grow an email list, just try and make an offer. I'd, re I'd usually recommend people read Dotcom Secrets and Hundred Million Dollar Offers by Alex Formosi. Those two books single-handedly have taught me like more than anything else about how to how to build an offer. And actually, I think part of the reason why this latest cohort of our YouTuber Academy did so well compared to previous ones, yes, there was the final cohort urgency, but we completely revamped the offer and the landing page based on literally just reading three books: Dotcom Secrets, Hundred Million Dollar Offers, and Copywriting Secrets. And it was it was it, it was kind of bizarre for me because I've been selling stuff on the internet for ten years, and I've never once read a book about how to sell stuff on the internet. And then I read those books, and I was like, "Oh my god! If I'd read these ten years ago, I would have been a decamillionaire by now because yeah. like I would have just learned so much." And this is something Alex Formosi talks about a lot. Like in the early days of a journey, you're paying off ignorance debt, and the reason I'm not making ten million a year is because I don't know how to make ten million a year. And so not knowing how to make 10 million a year is costing me 10 million a year <laughs> or like 6 million or whatever yeah, the Delta yeah, is. Yeah. So I should really spend a lot of time trying to find the people who are making 10 million a year and seeing what are they doing and try talking to, talking to yeah. them and literally fly to wherever they are to hang out with them. Because then I'll be like, ah, oh, okay, these people are not working any harder than I am. They've just, they're playing the right chess moves. Right, they understand how, by, the, how the game works yeah. a little bit differently, yeah. And so there, if, if I know that those chess moves exist, it mm -hmm. means that I can then make those chess moves myself without yeah. having to spend all the time and effort trying to figure it out myself. Mm -hmm. um, so, I don't know. I just think I've learned so much by reading these specific books about sales and marketing over the years. And I think creators increasingly need to really think about monetization almost from day one because the old model of build an audience for free for years and then sell something I don't think is a very sustainable way to build a creative business. Mm. I, I, I think that's really good advice. I think... Um, I think it's a quick path to being reliant on the advertising business. Mm. And that I think has proven to be challenging for a lot of creators. So I agree with that. I did want to talk about like you, you are even through this podcast, like it's very, whenever I speak to you, mm. it's very inspiring for me to pursue uh, different online businesses, specifically courses. Like I, fi I find myself very inspired, but I also find myself in the way that you've designed your life to be inspired of like, even just listening to, frameworks and and ideas do you ever think about the concept that you are your story itself is a pitch to not become a doctor <laughs> mm. and like what how does that impact like the <laughs> future of humanity having doctors <laughs> yeah, like talking about being a doctor was more lucrative led to a career that's more lucrative than being a doctor yeah. Um, I occasionally think about that. Uh, I think there is a distinct set of, you know, at least in the UK, it's, it seems about half of the medical students that I know 
really look up to me and they're like, oh my God, Ali does like, you know, it's a dream lifestyle. I'm going to leave medicine. The other half think I'm the worst thing ever because it's like, oh my God, this guy's terrible. He's like trading off the brand name of being a doctor mm. and then he's leaving and like encouraging, encouraging other people to leave. The way I think about it is like, you know, if me showing a lifestyle that's possible outside of medicine is really the thing that's encouraging people to leave, then those are people we actually don't want in the system anyway. Mm. Um, see. You know, ideally I would like to be in a healthcare system where the people who are practicing as doctors other people that actually want to be there rather than the ones who made a decision, at least in the UK at the age of 15, to go down this career path and are now stuck in there because of all of the mm. life that's built up on top of it. Though occasionally the thought crosses my mind that like, if, uh, you know, <laughs> I had so much influence that everyone suddenly left medicine, obviously that would be bad. But to be honest, in the UK, it's an oversubscribed degree at university. There's always more people wanting to be doctors than there are places for doctors. So as long as that continues to be the case, I don't like lose sleep over it at mm. night. Really good answer. We want yeah. the doctors who really want to be doctors. Yeah, yeah. it weeds people out. Exactly. It weeds people out because money is no longer part of it. Yeah, I mean, right? in, you can make more money doing other mm -hmm. things. Yeah, and in the yeah. UK, like doctors don't make that much money anyway. That's interesting. Like 40K for like eight years and then you earn 100K max. No. Yeah. Pounds, so like 120K dollars. So yeah. Wow. Very few go into private practice. They can earn maybe 300, 400K, but it's really, really stressful and you have to be really old and like, it's a very, very different like economic incentive than it is in the US. Interesting. In oh. fact, I think the doctors were on strike last week trying to campaign for huh. increasing wages from the government. That makes sense. I would hope that yeah. doctors get paid well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, I would hope that they get paid well. Lots of stuff on Twitter about this. The like, you know, a neurosurgeon 10 years into training is being yeah. paid like 35 to 40K oh, a year. That's <laughs> absolutely mental. That's insane. Can, can you walk us through though? Like, um, you know, I would imagine telling your mom the, the decision to leave medicine, mm -hmm. like, was that a impactful moment of like, I'm going to leave medicine and, you know, not be a doctor anymore? Yeah. I mean, she kind of knew it was coming initially. It, it sort of happened accidentally. I was always intending to take a break after two years of working as a doctor. In the UK, there's a very natural gap where, you know, a lot of people go to Australia or like do something else for a year yeah. or like, we'll do some research work for a year. And so it was that year that happened to be the pandemic where I yeah, happened yeah. to be, accidentally become mm -hmm. a full-time YouTuber. Um, and so it's, I mean, it's been three years now, so my mom has, has broadly gotten over it. Got it. Uh, but it's still a bit of a, in the back of my mind, you know, the whole Asian parents thing. Yeah. And my mom never pushed me to do medicine. Like she was never like campaigning for that. But um, it's in, you know, so sometimes it's like, I'll have conversations with my grandma when she's in Pakistan and she'll be like, you know, Ali, you know, just do some kind of specialization. You know, just become a GP before I die. You know, just something yeah. like mm -hmm. that to give her the sort of peace of mind that I'm not going to end up starving and homeless and stuff. I think medicine is a very stable career and the creator thing is not that stable. And so for my mom and grandma, I can totally see why yeah. mm -hmm. they don't want me to end up broken, St destitute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Stability was so um, highly touted for our parents and grandparents, right? Mm -hmm. And low risk. Yeah. And the internet has exploded that, right? Like that has become a land. That's like, the internet's like the modern America, like how people used to pitch America is the land of opportunity, yeah. right? Like the internet is the infinite land of opportunity. Mm -hmm. So it, it's almost in the same way that, you know, my family ended up moving to America. It's like, I moved to the internet, yeah. you know, to, it, yeah. to explore and just see and like make new land and make a life. Mm -hmm. um, it's fascinating, but it's hard for them to understand even though they did something really similar. Yeah, I think so. And I think yeah. it's it's even hard for us to, like it, it's only it's only recently that I've really started to realize that actually, I can just do this internet thing basically forever. Because before I was like, oh, you know, like my channel could die at any point. What if YouTube, the platform yeah, yeah. breaks down? What sure. if I become irrelevant and stuff? 
but I think I've d- sort of I, I've kind of realized that the skills that you develop in this career path, this creator path, all of the skills that that we all have, give us will will give us the ability to make money, whatever happens. Really. Yeah, agree. So it's a I big, agree with it's that. A big skill set. Yeah, I've lost that fear. Yeah, I've mm-hmm. fully lost the fear of like. Well, what if this all goes away? Like, what do I do next? Yeah. I, I've lost that fear because nice. I feel like the skill set we have now, the mm. understanding of storytelling as well, is like mm-hmm. so valuable. Mm. Um, Starting that, from zero would not feel like zero. It, it wouldn't feel like zero at all. Yeah. Um, what's your book about? Uh, the book. Uh, it's called Feel Good Productivity. It's about how to do more of what matters to you in a way that's enjoyable and sustainable. Mm. Been working working on it for the last two and a half years now, and. As of today, I think I made the final changes to the final copy edit draft thing. Wow. So we sent those today? to the, yeah, this morning. This is like a big day. Uh, yeah, but I mean, this is a big day. Big yeah. loads of like final drafts. It's like, now it's going to come back and then there's going to be some amount of like typos and things. It's a, there, we're going to cut all process. of that. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to add that. We're, yeah. like, we're going to use this and just be like, so you finished the book today yeah. and then you came on the show. Yeah, that's it's been a big day. Yeah, yeah, this morning, I didn't I didn't have anyone to meet with for, for breakfast. <laughs> I was meeting with Sarah Dici for lunch. I was like, you know what? I've got four hours. Let me just actually just finish, finish off this book. That's great. It's been looming over my head for the last three years. And now it's done. Wow. And so Congratulations. Just, thank yeah, you. Yeah, congrats, man. Um, I, I think um, there was one thing you, you asked me about when we were uh, on the phone yesterday. You were talking about longevity and how do you build like a, a brand in this space of like thought leadership. Yeah. And I actually think that I, I thought about that overnight and I was like, I actually think the two pieces of that equation of longevity and like a premium brand in this space uh, are going to come from scarcity and timeless work. Mm. So like you becoming potentially more scarce as you release the book, less available. Yeah. And the second is a book can be timeless. The book I read from Seth Godin that really pushed me on YouTube was Unleashing the Idea Virus, which was written in the 90s. Mm. I read it in the 2000s and I would still prescribe it to anyone who wants to start an online business. Yeah. That's a timeless piece of work. Yeah. So the thing that I sometimes think we forget as YouTube creators, that impulse to make something next week because you know, that's what we do. We, we want to be a part of the conversation. We want to make stuff. We want to be, you know, present and relevant. And, um, I think we forget that when you put a lot of time into one single piece of work, Mm. it can live forever. Yeah. And that's like music, that's books, that's movies, right? Mm -hmm. Those pieces are timeless. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big part of why I wanted to write the book. I looked at the careers of people like Tim Ferriss and Ryan Holiday and Cal Newport and these sort of people that I looked up to. And, and still look up to. And a lot of their longevity, I think, has been because of books. And it just seems like a cool life. Like, you know, yeah. you get to wake up, you get to do some reading, some learning, some writing, and every few years mm-hmm. you release a book. And it's like, yeah, some, I mean, that's people will read super it. cool. Yeah. That's a pretty sick yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> it does feel like a legacy moment, yeah. too. That yeah. Like, because it exists in a physical form, you now can be remembered for your ideas that you put in that physical thing. Yeah. I feel like for me, I don't really care about legacy as much. Um, maybe that'll change once I have kids. I've spoken to people who have kids and they're like, oh yeah, at that point you start caring mm-hmm. about legacy. I think for me, it's more like, it's a, a fun journey. And it was, you know, a, quite a lot of learning and tackling inner demons around imposter syndrome and sure. self-worth and all that kind of stuff. And now it's the whole journey of the next six months of, you know, trying to actually enjoy the process and not being overly attached to outcomes like, I really want to hit the New York Times list, even though I do, or... I really want to get this many pre-orders or I really want people to give nice reviews for the book because fundamentally all those things are outside of my control. Yeah. And so what I've done is, you know, I've written a book I'm proud of that I think is at least reasonable and 
I've learned stuff along the way. And so I'm trying so hard to just focus yeah. on that and not at all worry well, about numbers. I think you can split those into two buckets. Mm. Like that's the, uh, when we talked to Tim, it was like, that's the non-financial reward, right? What yeah. you just described is the non-financial reward. Mm. You have received that reward. Yeah. Now you're about to start a new process. Yeah. Which is the financial reward. <laughs> yeah, I guess the marketing side. Is it financially mm -hmm. rewarding to write a book? Uh, not massively. So it's financially, so I think the author will get around about $1 per sale. So if you, you get an like, advance, are you with like a publisher? Yeah, so we've got the advance. We've got a UK publisher, Penguin, and US publisher, Macmillan. Got it. So there's an advance, but you have to pay off the advance with right. royalties. So, so like, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm not going to see a penny for a while. Yeah. Um, and I think we, we will have to it, sell several hundred thousand books for it to pay right, off the advance. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it feels to me like a brand building Moment. Yeah, it's and, more like yeah. a lead magnet than it is yeah. a revenue generator. And, and is that a lead magnet to courses? It's a lead magnet partly to courses, uh, partly just to, I guess, my brand in general. Yeah. Because if I think, like, what do I want to be when I when I grow up? It's <laughs> it's less that I want to make courses. Like, the only reason I make courses is because they, they drive revenue. I want to be sort of, I, I want to have the impact on people that someone like Tim Ferriss had on me. Mm. Whereas, like, I read his book when I was, like, 17 and profoundly changed the trajectory of my life. And so if I could have that kind of impact on someone else, that feels really cool. And I think you get that through a book more so than through an individual YouTube video. And so I, I guess that's kind of why I've, mm. I've, I've written the book. Because it's, it's all part of this infinite game thing. Yeah. Like even if I won the lottery, I would still continue to write books. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's I probably cool. wouldn't make courses and I, I would definitely want to do brand deals. <laughs> I kind of feel like we're like, we're following your path, but like, years behind where it's like, now we're going to start our course yeah. journey. Right. And then we have an incredible desire to write a book. Mm, we've nice. we've mm -hmm. talked about it. We have an idea. We kind of have a pitch to ourselves. We've on started it. writing. We've we started writing a awesome. bit, dabbling a couple yeah. sentences here and nice. there. Um, but like that is something I don't think I'll be able to live with it. If we don't write a book, it's interesting. That's it's a creative a, project a that I want to do. curated moment of intense transformation for the audience, which right. I think is really cool because if you come across our YouTube channel, you may watch a video here, a video there, and it's disjointed, the yeah. transformation and the experience. Yeah. Or it's different. Each video is different. But I think what I love about a book is thinking, what's the last five, ten years of what we've learned? And can we put it into this intense moment of transformation that, yeah. same thing when you read a Tim yeah. Ferriss book or a Seth Godin, you get mm -hmm. to the end, you're just like, I'm a different human being. Yeah, yeah. transformed. Yeah. Taking me from there like and a moving there. there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really fun writing a book. Uh, well, it's fun, it's, having, a book. It? Yeah. it's fun having a book. Yeah, um, yeah. It's fun writing if you don't have a deadline looming over you. Mm. I don't want you to leave without um, me taking you up on your offer to check out your YouTube studio. Can I just poke around? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. On your phone? Sure. No <laughs> problem. Just, we're with like the transparent man, yeah. you know? So um, hang on, I feel like there's that. a funny meme to be had there of like the most transparent man. Yeah, we cut to you and yeah. you're just, yeah. there's no one in the chat room. <laughs> yeah, feel free. Okay. So it's, I'm. We haven't published a video in a while. So I, I, I actually. Have not looked at these numbers in about two months. Okay, mm. cool. Um, so you can read them out. Unfortunately, yeah. it's all in British pounds. Yeah. Oh, so we no, don't. We can't even. Nightmare. It's, it's like a different language. Yeah. yeah. All the arrows are probably gray because we've um, not loaded in a while. Wow. That's I, honestly <laughs> it, extremely substantial. Uh, yes, all the numbers are gray except for yes. one number, which is subscribers, which you've gained a hundred and fourteen thousand subscribers in the past twenty-eight days. We have. Oh, cool. Nice. Wow. That's incredible. That's right. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, I think we've gained twenty to 30,000 subscribers yeah. in the past 30 days. But we've also stopped. Do you think a lot of that comes from short-form content? No, not very much. Not very much. Yeah, That's all like from a few the library. In a month, yeah. Interesting. And what's your relationship to short-form content? Do you enjoy it? Do I enjoy it? I'm going to take that as a 
It's okay. So it's like I I enjoy putting them out, and I enjoy the fact that we have them. Yeah. I don't inherently enjoy the process of filming them, but I also don't inherently enjoy the process of filming a video. Yeah. But I'm glad to have filmed the video at the end of it. Yeah. Or like at some point I'll, I'll enjoy it. So the way I think of short form content is is very much like um, you know, broad top of market awareness. Right. Yep. Almost like a billboard. Mm-hmm. And there are so many people that it's like, I think the issue with short form is that people will consume fifty shorts in one sit one sitting. You'd be like, oh, there's this really good TikTok that I saw. And it's like, oh, who's it by? It's like, oh, I don't know. I can't remember. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it's, I'll find a link. It's like, how do I find a link? Unless I shared yeah. it with someone. And so what I'm really hoping with shorts is that like 0.1% of the people that see it might then be more likely to click on a thumbnail of me if they see it in the future, who might then be more likely to realize the book is a thing, who might then be, be a little bit more likely to buy the book. Like all of those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, I think it's cool that we get to share an interesting idea in less than 60 seconds. Part of it is fun and then there's all the other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's always fun to poke around, yeah. you know, and just explore someone's, Have a look at someone's YouTube, YouTube studio. studio. Yeah. It's like very intimate and it is. super interesting. Yeah. Um, it's amazing how consistent your revenue is. Like you were mentioning, like close to 50,000 50, pounds yeah. a month. Like it's extremely- it's mostly from the back catalog. Extremely consistent. Um, for those interested, Ollie's RPM is six, do- six pounds and 36 cents. Cool. What's yours? Uh, I have no idea, but I would assume higher. Oh yeah, yeah. Should just because we have very long form <laughs> content. Yeah. Let me see. Now we're in the YouTube nerd section. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I was just—I just wanted to look. I was very interested. Nine dollars. Not okay. our RPM is nine dollars. Okay, and, similar. Yeah, so not that much higher. No, I find my—I'm just healthier and happier yeah. when yeah, I don't yeah, look yeah. at the numbers. And occasionally, find if, like yeah. it's on like page five of my phone. Occasionally, I find myself yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scrolling, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. you know what? Actually, I don't—I don't, I don't look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. Well, it's especially it doesn't matter when you don't have brand deals connected to it, which is helpful. Uh, yeah, or yeah. we do, but the team deals with it. But. That's great. And right. I don't have to worry so, about deadlines. So it's yeah, life is that's good. That's why we have Angus. When, yeah. that's all. when you <laughs> telescope out yeah. five years, maybe, you know, what do you hope your life looks like? Mm, married, kids, living somewhere nice, um, continuing to make videos and writing and having a business that sustains that lifestyle without without me having to do the things I don't want to do mm. without me feeling wedded to an upload schedule. Is there yeah. any certain amount of money that you have in your mind that's like, that would get me to a place where I'm very free? Oh, honestly, not really. Yeah. Like, I've heard people who have got like 10 million plus in liquid net worth who feel like they need 100 to yeah. feel financially free. Um, I know that I'm always going to feel a sense of scarcity when it comes to money. And so there probably isn't any number that I would think, you know what, now I'm finally free of this curse <laughs> and I no longer have to worry about revenue. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get better. I just, you know, it's just a part of life. I'm always going to feel a little bit of scarcity when it comes to money. Yeah. But as long as, you know, as long as every year where the business is profitable and we're doing something fun, then, then that's all good. And I mean, there's my, my favorite quote of all time is from the book, Anything You Want by Derek Sivers in which he says something like, never forget why, why you're really doing what, you, what you're really doing. Is it making money? Is it profitable? Are you happy? Are your customers happy? Isn't that enough? And it's like, I'm getting surprisingly emotional just like talking about that because mm-hmm. there's just so many journeys in this entrepreneur, creator thing. A lot of it is tied up with money. A lot of it is tied up with growth and self-worth being attached to numbers and metrics and stuff. But at the end of the day, if we're profitable and having fun and our customers are happy, then that, that should be enough. So I just try and remind myself of that whenever I feel like too much on the 
the hamster wheel of like, yeah. oh, I need another video to come out. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, Stop. I like that. Yeah. Dude, thank you so much. Thank you. I can't wait to read your book. Yeah. So excited. I hope you <laughs> send us. That's all right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> send us some copies. We'll put them on the copies. Yeah, you can, yeah, you can give free copies to anyone who yeah, products yeah, up yeah, by yeah. there. Yeah. And you can pre-order it right now, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. We'll figure out something interesting. Yeah. By do. the time some this comes incentive. out, we'll yeah. have yeah. some kind of incentive. But we'll put the link to pre-order it. Sweet. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Nice. Thanks for having me. See ya.